You're listening to episode 79 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Well, it's funny. All right, hey, Phil, shut up a second. It's time for Grandpa Kale's Storytime Corner. <gasps> oh, story. boy. All right, so I've got two this week, but one involves incredible spoilers for Avengers. So we're going to save that for the end. Consider it like an after credit scene. Okay. I like that. <laughs> so I'm sitting sitting in the theater next to my lovely fiance, right? We're sitting in the uh, uh we're sitting uh I've been thinking about movie popcorn and like a coke and candy all week, right? Avengers is coming up. I've got my opening, you know, I guess I didn't go to the opening tease. Anyway, I was thinking about this popcorn all damn week. So we're sitting, we're about, let's see, we went to a 345 show. It was about 515. So I'm about an hour and a half in, right? Jess has held the popcorn the whole movie. <laughs> I reach over and I, hey, baby, I got it. Don't even worry. So I take it, I hold it. And I'm, you know, I'm going to town. I'm loving this movie of popcorn, right? Somewhere... Somewhere in this part where the, they raise the stakes, right? Stark and Doctor Stranger, they're, you know, this is the final stakes. They put down the Chekhov's gun, right? I move both hands, one toward, one, the one holding the popcorn, to the one going for the popcorn. But here's the thing, boys. I missed the opening. I slam the popcorn like 10 feet in front of me. It goes flying. <laughs> throw my hands up. Jess looks at me. I swear to you, boys, none of you, um, <laughs> none of you have been in the position I am. I, I am sort of a, a, a frontiersman in, in, like, in, in like marriage. Oh, okay. Um, I have never seen such raw fury. <laughs> the engagement's off. Oh. She took a, she took a different bus home. And it was the funniest fucking thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting there trying not to cr- just like, I was laughing so hard, but trying not to let it out. Just tears are pouring down my face. So like, is this like a full movie theater? Like, did you, did you no, rain yeah. popcorn on yeah. several rows yeah. of people? Several rows of people. <laughs> He made it rain. I want. I wanted this popcorn so bad. That was a long, giant John Steinbeck esque walk for <laughs> an extremely short drink of water. But you know what? I gotta say, it was worth it. I'm not convinced it was worth it. I think Kale told that story just so that he could slip in the fiance line, and uh, I think that we could have done without it. So thanks, Kale. <laughs> Listen, man, I feel like you just rained popcorn on me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you just took a popcorn bucket and just shoved it over my head. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I come to this show every week ready to share in my misfortunes. <laughs> you, you put a and, lot and trust of, me, they're a plenty. <laughs> you, you put a lot of kiwi butter on a lot of people in that theater that day. A lot of people, Sean. <laughs> Including me. Now, listen, let me ask you a question. Uh, is the is the engagement really off? No. <laughs> uh, then what the fuck? Okay. Anyway. Uh, so so obviously Avengers: Infinity War is out, and uh, because of that, we are dedicating 
a lot of the show to talking about this phenomenal juggernaut of a movie. Uh, so if you have seen it, if you haven't seen it, stay tuned because we're going to be talking about the ins and outs, everything front to back. Um, and there will be a lot of non-spoiler stuff too. So if you haven't seen it, definitely do stay tuned for that. But we are, we do have some regular show stuff to get to. Um, before we jump into everything, I want to let you guys know how you can find us and how you can reach out to us. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, where we are a five-star rated podcast. One star for each one of us. Although right now, I'm seriously considering getting rid of Kale so that we become a four-star podcast. Because oh. after that story, that's about all that we deserve. Uh, man, I could only dream. <laughs> I could only dream. Listen, man, I'm feeling like the balance of this show is off. There's five of us, and um, we might need to restore balance by... You know, you know, at this point, this show is like my Sisyphean nightmare. It's, yeah, <laughs> I understand. Let's just, after the show, let's just part ways. Cool. Um, so, <laughs> I'm still waiting for the sun to rise on us here. We are we are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And last but not least, we're on YouTube, where you can leave all of your angry comments about how much we <laughs> uh, rail on diversity in comics. You can leave them right there. Uh and, of course, you can leave us a like if you like that kind of stuff. And uh, share the video with your friends and subscribe to the channel. It's free to do, and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you. So, And real quick, remember, if you're a subscriber, click that bell if you actually want to know when our videos post because YouTube is on fire. Notifications. That's true. Uh, so we're going to start by jumping into a little bit of listener mail. All right, so we've got a uh, letter here from our pal Matt Murphy over from the Long Box Podcast who writes in via email like you can at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And he writes in and says, hey, guys, you really triggered the soft boy community in comics with all the DNC talk, and it's hilarious. Here's a question. For all the people claiming that comics are using diversity as a political agenda, what recent diverse books would you recommend them reading to show that diversity is improving comics? I'd like to see these be specifically Marvel if possible, as they're the only publisher people discuss in their arguments. Matt. So, I think that means it's time for the random question of the week. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I got a little I got a little tickle in my throat like right as I started that and I was like we got to go deep on this one. There's got no other way. Got, got a little piratey there. I don't think Sean was a fan. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. mateys. Thanks for considering me. I'm, I'm retiring for the week. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> all right. So does that mean I can snap my fingers and just, you know, never mind. We'll we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so, uh, I I guess given that he wants Marvel specific answers, I'm probably the most equipped to tackle this. Um, I mean, couldn't we just couldn't we just open a list of the Eisner Eisner noms this week and <laughs> oh, read from nice. those because. I don't know, man. I'm not really feeling the diversity uh, all that much from the Eisner noms necessarily. Um, so I think I think that Miss Marvel is a great example. Uh, Kamala Khan has been a, a fantastic addition to the Marvel universe, and her book has been great since it started. Um, and I think you can point to the reaction that. A lot of Muslim fans, a lot of brown fans have had to this character to show that she's uh, impactful. Uh, as far as I'm aware, her her graphic novels regularly have sold pretty decently. Um, and she, she's been a staple in the Marvel Universe since she came out. And I don't think that that's 
as a result of a desire just to put her there. I think that's a result of people clamoring for that character. I think uh, you can point to Miles Morales, although maybe not as recent. Uh, as another example, Miles, Miles is everywhere. He's about to have his own movie. And Sony is not about to make a movie about a character just to make a movie about a character because of the sake of diversity. Obviously, he's popular. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing this. It's not like they decided to insert Spider-Man into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and make him uh, black and uh, Dominican character because they could get away with it because Marvel will make the money regardless. This is a movie based around this character, and they suspect it'll do well. I think specifically those two characters, too, like Kamala is like four years old now. And, like, she's still a really relevant character, which, like, speaks to the fact that there's an audience there for her. And with Miles, it's like Miles is in everything now. You know, like, he was in Ultimate Spider-Man, which made him really popular with a new generation of kids. Uh, the Disney XD show. Um, and then uh, he's going to be in the new Insomniac game as well. You know, like, he's a, a central character in it. And, like, him and Peter, like, he's like his, you know, Peter's like his mentor or whatever. So, like, uh, you know, I think... Miles and, and Kamala are probably the two best examples of, like, diverse characters that have really woven themselves into the Marvel Universe in a meaningful way, you know? Where, like, I think even if this wave of characters, like, some of the other, like, lesser-known ones were to fade away, I think those two are going to probably endure for the, the foreseeable future. Uh, and I know Marco would definitely recommend America, right? Ooh, uh, 110 percent. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, and, and your question is specifically about comics that they could read and I think I, I think that's a bit of a, of a goof question just because it, someone who has a problem with diversity in comics isn't, doesn't want to read these books that's the core issue right um, but obviously if you, if you actually just care about good quality books and you could be proven it could be proven to you that diversity improves comics uh, then again, Miss Marvel, I think, is a great representation of that. Um, I think the Captain Marvel books also have been really solid. I haven't read them all, uh, but some of the stuff that I've read, I have enjoyed. Um, I think uh, Bendis's Miles Morales book, uh, Spider Man, has been very solid. Um, it's not for everybody. You got to like Bendis, but I like Bendis, and I like Bendis on on this book in particular. Uh I'd, I'd give one more shout out. I know he asked for specifically Marvel stuff, but <clears throat> any chance I can plug uh, New Superman by Jean Lun Yang. I'm also really a big fan of that. And that's an entirely, all the main characters are not white. So um, yeah, that's a fantastic book as well. At the end of the day, uh, you can criticize Marvel's books for not being good. And that that's saying, I don't like this publisher's quality. It's when the content is being targeted as, oh, the diversity is ruining, ruining Marvel. Yeah. It's, it's no longer, oh, the content's bad. It's diversity's bad. That's the core right. issue here. Or that, like, diverse writers can't write comics, you know? Or, like, how, like, we've gotten multiple comments where they're like, oh, all these people are rude to the fans, you know? Like, these women and these people of color and these LBGTQ writers are all bad and they're rude and they don't get comics. And it's this very, like, you know, it's a gatekeeper mentality, right? It's just like, oh, they're not real comics people, so fuck them, you know? Well, let's, and, let's also point out that um, Ta-Nehisi Coates has been doing a phenomenal job on Black Panther and is about to take over Captain America. 
Uh, Black Panther World of Wakanda was nominated for an Eisner. That book may be canceled, but Roxanne Gay was the main spearhead uh, writer of that book, and she's a woman, and she's black. Um, Saladin Ahmed has been doing great work on all of his books at Marvel and not at Marvel. Uh, Black Bolt, people love Black Bolt. Uh, Tom Taylor has been writing all new Wolverine, which stars um x23 as wolverine that's a fantastic book none of the books that we have mentioned can you say are bad you might say i don't like them for well that's a meme but you 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 (laughs) might you might say uh you don't like them for x reason but that's it's not going to be quality based these books are are some of the best books that marvel are publishing and they feature diverse creators diverse characters and i would love I would love to receive the feedback that says these books are bad. This is why I always say on this show, Marvel's books are not bad. Marvel has bad PR. And people don't like Marvel because the zeitgeist right now, it's in right now to shit on their books. But the books are good. And uh, there you go. They're diverse books are good. And we've talked about this ad nauseum. Like when we all entered the industry as commentators, the pendulum was in the other direction. DC was the one that it was cool to shit on. And... You know, and that's just how it goes. Like, it's cyclical, and it's pretty much always been that way. You know, it's always who's on top, Marvel or DC. You know, I remember when I entered the industry as, as, a, as a fucking journalist, I wrote this piece about how Marvel, you know, like, DC's market share was shrinking a lot. You know, and, like, Mark, when I wrote about that. And uh, now it's, it's like the numbers are literally reversed four years later. So, you know, I'm sure... Something's going to give, and Marvel will find themselves back on top, and in a couple years we'll be talking about how everyone's giving DC shit. So, uh, thanks, Matt, for writing in, and as we said at the top, you can also do so by writing to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Also, um, uh, just wanted to say, Matt didn't like Infinity War. No, he did not. Really? And, uh, yeah. And uh, we're going to do our review a little later, but gosh, man, I don't get it. It's almost like it's almost like you only like things that other people don't like. Oh, but hey, congrats on 100 episodes. (laughs) 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 No, I think uh, I think that puts the uh, the nail in the coffin. There you go. So we're going to jump into our pals polls real quick. Uh, from Pete, we've got The Walking Dead 179. Yep. Um, you know, not going to belabor the point. It's Walking Dead. You either read it or you don't. Um, especially considering that I've really fallen off the show this past season. Um, it's cool that the book is in such a healthy place. So uh, if you're a lapsed fan or you've never given the books a shot, um, there's 179 of them. So have fun catching up. <laughs> Kale, uh, go, go Power Rangers number nine. Yeah, I don't, um, everything I'm reading this week is a, uh, is, you know, sort of a continuation of a storyline. It's a middle, you know, they're middle issues. So I don't have a lot to say about go, go Power Rangers. It's, um, uh, you know, it's the, I believe it's the second part in the, uh, the, uh, oh, the pink Ranger, uh, Hunter, the pink Ranger Hunter shattered grid event. Um, yeah, really, really great. Um, very excited to keep going. Awesome. And Dr. Star and the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrow's number three. This is a spinoff of uh, Black Hammer. It exists in the cool. in the same universe. Um, 
uh, yeah, again, it's the middle of the series. I believe Dr. Star is a five-part uh, miniseries. Um, so, yeah, very, very pumped to keep going. Cool. Uh, so I chose Avengers number one, Jason Aaron, Ed McGinnis. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time, ever since they teased it. Uh, way back with Marvel Legacy, which seems like so long ago now, but it was only in September. Uh, and, Jesus, uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> what, what's the roster? Ghost Rider. I don't. It's go. Yeah, Ghost Rider is on it, isn't he? Uh, so it's it's Ghost Rider, it's Doctor Strange, She Hulk, Captain America, Black Panther, Iron. That's cool. Not bad. Pretty good. So a relatively old school lineup, sort of yeah. traditional. Minus Ghost Rider, who's kind of a weird inclusion. But at any rate, pretty excited. Uh, and then also, Phil and I chose DC Nation number zero. Yeah, Dark Knight's Metal is over, and it's on to a new horizon of new stories for the DC Universe. Uh, this is like a little bit of foreshadowing for free comic book day. 25 cents uh, is this issue. Uh, it's pretty good. There's just like three previews, basically, I think. Yes, uh, it's, it should be. it should be fun. Yeah, and I'm excited to I like see stuff how. Like that. Yeah, uh, is so this, this is, sorry, this is the issue that uh, our, our, our the Joker finds out about Batman and Catwoman's wedding, yeah. right? Yeah, That's yeah, yeah, the, yeah. kind of the big pull here. Yes, this, there's also a Bendis Superman story. In here. Yeah, that continues there. Another teaser. Oh, this week will be the um, we'll get the teaser for the new Spider-Man run as well. For uh, on New Comic Book Day, right? That, that would make sense, yeah. Yeah. Next think, Saturday, right? Yeah, that's exciting. Cool. Yeah. Lots of Love forward to. Comic Book Day, yeah. Me too, man. Especially, like, if if your shop does good sales and stuff. Like, the two shops I always hit up, they do, like, um, they do 50% off anything on the wall. So that's always, like, a chance where I'm just like, back issues, let's fucking do this. Like, anything I've missed, you know, in the last six months, like... I'm going to walk out with a nice stack on Saturday. It's going to be exciting. So Marco has uh, some special commentary to deliver about a certain book that he read. And I'm going to let you take it away. Yeah. So um, Brian had reached out a couple weeks back just regarding Uzumaki, the Jinji Ito book. Um, he had finished it. And Who's I finally Brian? got a chance. Uh, he's at Chrome Dick on Twitter. He's uh, he's a, 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 another uh, he's a fellow pal. Um, and. So I finally got the chance to, to finish the book and he specifically had a, like a question about like the end, um, the end of it. I'm not going to spoil anything, but the end is very, uh, sort of grandiose and, um, kind of HP Lovecraft like, uh, so it, the, sorry, Kyle. is it, is it a spoilable, spoilerable book? I, I was under the impression it was a kind of an anthology. So it, it's, um, it's sort of pieced together as an anthology but there's an overarching story regarding the spirals themselves um and it oh, all sort of okay. culminates at, at, like in the final couple uh issues and uh the the thing that really like sold it for hp lovecraft was uh there's like a sp- specific chapter that kind of got excluded from the uh from the full run and it's specifically about like space and like voices talking to you from space uh there was actually uh, an interview that uh, he did where he he had mentioned that it was an inspiration from uh, that that sort of like cosmic and more uh, dark and mystical aspect of horror that he started to draw from. So uh, that ending is kind of uh, a sort of uh, a nod towards uh, Lovecraft and his work and with that immensity and the the sort of looming 
threat that cannot be defeated. Um, but yeah, I mean, super solid book. Thank you so much for the recommendation, Brian. Uh, it was really, really good. And I'm really excited. Uh, I want to pick up Gio next. Uh, that's another one of his books. And then I think on Twitter, he's going to be writing Frankenstein uh, in like a manga and like another manga style. So another cool. book I that's definitely right. want to pick up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that right. sounds very up your alley. Yeah, 100%. John, this, this is this is your kind of shit, I think. Yeah? I think so. I'd, I'd recommend, man, if you're going to start into, into some manga shit, I think this is it. Oh, I don't know, dude. I tried reading manga when I was like a teenager, and the fact that you read it like right to left or whatever just yeah, yeah, yeah. freaked me out. <laughs> that, that like really fucks with me too. Like it's the thing that like anybody who reads manga will like laugh at you about, but it's like it's fucking weird. It's weird to read everything in your entire life left to right, and then all of a sudden to be like, hey, like totally just learn this total other way to like look at the way that panels progress like when the dialogue goes from left to right like that's yeah, what yeah, fucks yeah. me up more than anything like following <laughs> the balloons backwards i'm like what the fuck am i doing like well on that note that was uh manga marco with his uh maga poll of the week remember you can't spell manga without maga Ooh. uh i don't like that so we're gonna move on uh so we have a <laughs> We have a huge announcement to make that we're all very excited to share with you guys. So, you know, we here at the Comics Pals, we love comics. Uh, contrary to popular belief, we also actually read comics. And we're going to pay it forward. So, we've come up with a nice way to do that. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to do some giveaways. We're going to do some giveaways starting in May. We're going to do some giveaways of some really awesome stuff that marco has um and we're gonna start with something deadpool themed so marco why don't you take it away yep so uh for our first ever (laughs) for our first ever giveaway uh we're gonna be giving away the run the uh way run i forget his full name daniel way daniel way and we're gonna be giving away his uh his run on deadpool so it's 10 volumes uh all here as well like they have some team up books so uh for any all of them at once yeah one person's getting all 10 volumes one person is gonna get all 10 volumes uh we're gonna mail it out so anybody who wants to comment uh share like these videos uh, our pages anything across our social media uh you have to subscribe you, you gotta have go to subscribe to the youtube channel like comment qualify. share and subscribe so um, yes yeah exactly go ahead marco yeah yeah and uh uh We'll be sending out a couple, just I guess a couple questions uh, just regarding, just to get some engagement going and to really get people excited and pumped about this. Um, and then later I'll be taking just uh, some pictures of it, putting up on social media just so you guys can get like a full look of what it is that we'll be giving away. By the time this episode is up, the pictures should be there. Yeah. So here's what, here's what I'd like to put out there. Uh, so the rules are simple. As Marco laid out, you've got to become a subscriber to us on YouTube. If you're not already, uh, leave a like, a comment, and uh, leave a like and a comment on this video. So whatever you go to, go to YouTube, watch our full video. Leave a like and a comment. The full video being the Avengers: Infinity War review, which should drop next week. Um, and leave a comment with your favorite moment from Avengers: Infinity War. Let us know your favorite part of the movie, and. Uh, That'll that'll put you in the running to win these comics. Yeah, and just to clarify, if you're already a subscriber, you just got to make the comment and like the yep. video. And share, and share. Oh, yeah, God. yeah, that would be great. We'd appreciate it. 
Very clever of Sean, though, to say he's going to pay it forward, because as it turns out, today is actually pay it forward day. Oh, wow. That's And as funny. it turns out, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so with that, we're going to move into the news. Obviously, Avengers Infinity War is the big deal this week, but uh, there was a trailer for a Here certain movie go. that dropped alongside Avengers Infinity War. That I'm dying to talk about. And of course, we're referring mm. to the trailer for Venom. Uh, so this is the real trailer, the the, the full trailer. <laughs> uh, what did you guys think of this? So Looks it's, bad, man! Looks so, bad! So it's funny. All this time, we thought we are Groot when it turns out we are Venom. Yeah. I didn't like that one. Didn't like that. In, in, in <laughs> Donald Trump's America in 2018... We are Venom. <laughs> Getting political on this show now, all right. Now? <laughs> what do you mean now? Oh, I'm sorry, Listen. whatever. Politics are ruining podcasts, <laughs> and it needs to stop. I don't, I don't, come, I don't come to comic book podcasts for politics, guys, okay? <laughs> Keep your politics uh, out of my podcasts. Uh, Pete, shut up for a second. Uh, listen, that trailer looks pretty good. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and you're an idiot if you think that. I liked it. Yeah, look at Why? I'm yeah, why? an idiot. No, I really yes. want you to explain to me what about this looks good. What first about this looks all, good? Tom Hardy's accent is shit. All right? Yes, it is. First of all. So somebody, somebody pointed out that he may not use the same accent in any movie he's ever <laughs> in anything he's ever done. <laughs> he uses like three accents in this trailer. Girl. Oh, oh my god. First yes. of all, I want to get the opinion of the real expert here when it comes to Venom, and that's Marco. Marco, uh, what do you think about the trailer? So, with my extensive years reading uh, Venom, <laughs> oh I, uh, um, I don't know, this just rang true for me for the character, for like everything about... Um, and, I mean, the acting was... I, I f- phenomenal. I mean, if they could, ca- if they captured this in just a trailer, I'm I'm sold on the on the movie already. And let I, me ask you a follow up yeah. question, if mm-hmm. I may, uh, Marco. Can you tell us what comic book uh, this <laughs> what comic book this run references? Do you can you can you shine some light on that? Uh, so this is uh, the origin story where they find him as a space moon alien. Oh yeah! Wow. Really? Yep. That's crazy. Who's yeah. they? Um, the the that sign. Uh, oh shit! There's like a a, a Listen, pilot. Don't press him. He knows. <laughs> yeah, I'm he's, just I'm just playing. He's, he's a it's soft early. boy, Pete. The only reason he's struggling to answer is because you're pressing him. He's stressed out. <laughs> Gosh, take it easy. So anyway, putting Pete's chagrins aside, this looks like Oscar bait. <laughs> I, I tell you what, Phil, we might owe your brother an apology. <laughs> you know what? I'll never apologize to that man. <laughs> I, I tell you what, if this movie's good, if truly, if this movie's good, I would be willing to sacrifice my spot on the sh- on that week's show so that he can come <laughs> shove it in Pete's face. For context, for context, Phil's brother is a massive troll, worse than Phil himself. I never wanted to reference him on the show, but here we are. Uh, and he is the biggest supporter of the Venom <laughs> film and believes it's going to be the best thing ever. And look, he just might be right. <laughs> he might be right. 
<laughs> might be a film that Matt Murphy Murphy actually likes. <laughs> well, he will. He will fucking like it. Of course he will, because it's dog shit. That that weekend we're gonna we're gonna have Matt Murphy and my brother on. You know, you know how you know. <laughs> You know how you know Murphy's gonna like it because when Venom tongue, Venom's tongue comes out, hundred percent tentacle game shit. Looks like a giant dick coming right out of it. No, that's tentacle stuff, man. That's Tumblr right up his alley. was all over that shit. So yeah. So, so let's let's have a real let's have a real discussion. Uh, I liked it a lot. Me too. I really did. I like why because I like. We're trying to tell you, Pete. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Popcorn all over you, Pete. Uh, so I really. <laughs> I really enjoyed the the voice that Eddie was hearing, the voice of the symbiote. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, I always wanted them to do that, and they completely sucked in Spider-Man 3 at nailing the fact that the symbiote wasn't just a thing on you. You know, that it had its own will. Um, I really like that. It got, I got a real horror vibe out of it. Imagine having something on you that you can't control, something in your body and blood that talks to you, that makes you want to do things that you don't normally want to do. Uh, I think that's really creepy. And so in that respect, they're nailing the horror element. Um, and then finally showing the Venom costume. I mean, it looked perfect. Like, yeah, you could make arguments here or there. It's not big enough, whatever. But for me... Uh, I thought it was awesome, and uh, now I can't wait to see this movie. Oh yeah. my god, you're fucking yeah, hurting me! <laughs> like, like on the uh, like the uh, the actual trailer itself was I don't know for me I, I think it was shot okay. Um, that there were like little bits of scene where they give you just like tastes of a lot of the elements that could go on in the in in the film. And uh, Sean, to your point, yeah, like the the voice thing, like that that was that's really cool. It 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 provides that sort of like inner demon that he has to to fight and that's what like it'll represent i'm assuming in the movie um but yeah uh his accent's kind of all over the place like if, if i'm being honest like his the, the way he speaks his cadence is like really weird and off and then he just he the the one line i hate is like why did we do that uh, it's just like this bizarre <laughs> it's just no, like this like th- marco you're so fucking right like <laughs> Tell me not like that was weird. No, but, dude, but, like- but 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 no, no, but but like in no seriousness, the the venom suit was kind of cool. Like it, it coming out and like being just like like on him, that was kind of cool. Okay, yeah, now like, Kale gets to speak. The suit looks good. <laughs> That's the best segment we've I, ever done. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, for me, like I was very anti this movie. Like this movie has sounded and looked like dog shit up to this point, and like. Truly, I'm 100% having a heel turn on this bit because, <laughs> uh, like, I like I, I initially saw, like, you know, the, the symbiote coming around him, and then, like, I saw that first. Like, you know, some asshole spoiled the trailer. Some asshole spoiled a trailer for me because that's where we are in 2018. <laughs> my, you know, my thing about the first trailer was that we don't even see the symbiote. Mm-hmm. It's a teaser. Like... No, it was that that was dumb. This should have been the first trailer. I agree with you. Because the first the first trailer set a bad it left a bad taste in people's mouths. And now Yeah, it was it was a generic Tom Hardy film. Right. Alright, Phil, what's your take? Listen here, fellow pals. From day one I said and it was a birth of the slogan of this show. Could be good. 
And now, That's actually like, true. <laughs> yeah, you, you might be right. This movie has caused me so much pain. Pete, it's not your turn. <laughs> Keep your goddamn mouth shut. What have you talked about? You all right? Keep what your popcorn you in your about? lap, Pete. Phil, go right ahead. And now we sit here at this impetus of human, of the cradle of human civilization as we witness what perhaps may be the defining crown jewel of the superhero comic book genre with Sony's Venom. And the reality of it is, it could be good. All right. Pete? So what's the next story, Sean? Oh, all right, cool. Um, moving right along. No, 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 no. You know what? You know what? Could be good. Hell yeah. All right. <laughs> that face. I want that face to be. <laughs> That's the thumbnail. That's that, 100% thumbnail. Yeah, I want thumbnail. that to be the thumbnail. Huge, That's- huge Sony Venom's reaction. <laughs> That's all, Pete? That's all you got? All right. His anus, is, his anus is clenched so tightly <laughs> right now. Here's what I got to say. There it is. We'll fucking see. <laughs> all right. All right. Leaving it there. So uh, the Eisner nominees uh, have been announced. <clears throat> and... Uh, it's interesting because uh, <laughs> almost every Marvel comic that was nominated for an Eisner has been canceled, uh, which is the big story coming out of this that, that you know, Marvel has, has – we've talked about this. They've chopped up uh, the books that they publish, and a lot of the books that they've eliminated have been the diverse ones um, and a lot of the ones coming from d- diverse voices, which, <clears throat> I mean, look – the reality in my mind is that it speaks to the fact, as we've talked about many times, that um, A, people who who read comics, a lot of them are not interested in reading books about diverse characters, uh, at least not enough to show up for these books. And then people who say they want it don't buy them. But I've made that point many times, won't belabor it. Uh, what also interested me and what a lot of people have spoken to is that um, – uh, letterers and colorists have really kind of gotten the short end of the stick here. There's been a lot of commentary on Twitter about that issue. Um, did you? Getting, uh, sorry, I was gonna. Did you see friend of the show Chris Abella's tweets about it? He went on like this whole tweet storm about how there needs to be a category where we recognize colorists and not. Oh yeah, there's one for best colors in a book, but not the actual name of the person doing the work. And it's bullshit. Like. Colorists are the most underappreciated people in the industry. Well, I'm not sure if uh, I'm not sure if he was looking at something different than what I am. But yeah, because it has the. I'm pretty sure it has the names. Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. But isn't it, it does, isn't it for best? Like it's for the book, not for the person, right? It's so it's like for example, best coloring, and Mitch Gerads is there for Mister Miracle DC Comics. Hmm. I, I guess it's. Because I because I saw this whole conversation between him and a couple other colorists, and I think the whole like thing is that like you don't give like it's not for best colorists, it's for best colors, and like that's a worthwhile distinction to make because colorists are constantly being passed over, you know. For yeah, for the the book they're working on, as opposed to the colors themselves. Right. Yes. The, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a yeah, exactly. And then also a lot of the uh, books that are here when when listed, they're listing just the writer and artist. So like best 
you know, whatever. <laughs> I think like even the fact that like and, and we've been guilty of that because it's just what the industry does. But when we're like the artist, well, it's like the colorist is the artist, too. It's not the same book with no colors, you know, like yeah. imagine Infinity Gauntlet without the color work. You know, it's like it's a different book. Absolutely. It's 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 easier to not include four, sometimes five different creators versus two. Right. Uh, and the the contributions, especially of the letter, I would say we've come we've we've come a long way with colors uh, over the years, even though we're still not where we need to be. But letters get like no respect. Yeah. Um, no, nah, it's it's like it's it's like grunt work. And and it's a little it's a little ridiculous to me. Like I understand if like a some website doesn't reference the 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 colorists or the or the letters because they're they're not they're written for people who are just coming to see a review of Avengers number one, a, a, like a quick take, not necessarily some in depth thing. It's not great. I don't appreciate that mistake, but I understand it. But in the Eisners, right? How could you not? include all that information yeah it's it just it seems really just unfair like it's it's really you're not acknowledging the contributions of people who are really making a significant addition to the book you know and it's like i don't know it it just seems really disingenuous to not like it's like oh we don't want to list five names it's like we're talking about five names guys i think you can find the space you know like (laughs) i i agree uh and I think they'll be they'll have to do better because all the creators came out. I mean, everybody, every creator that I follow on Twitter, uh, every creator who was retweeted by somebody I follow on Twitter had a, a take on this and no one was happy. So and that's super that's super good to see. Like, it's really um, it's heartening to see, like, the people who are getting acknowledged standing up for the contributions of those who aren't. Well, yeah, because in in this industry, this industry isn't like it, it's not like a lot of others in that Tom King knows that the books are big in part because of him, but he also knows that they wouldn't exist or be nearly as good without the contributions of everyone on the team, and so he's not a big enough. There are no big enough names in comics to forget your partners and it's so collaborative in film the director might not have any clue who you know the the key grip is but there's that doesn't it doesn't happen like that in comics because of how closely you have to work with everyone well how much smaller the teams are right like even if you're talking about a team of four or five people that's four or five people that are working on this thing you know like you've got a writer an artist a colorist a letter and then an editor you know is like a pretty standard team and like Every one of those people is equally as important, you yeah. know, and like that's just fact. With a with a Marvel film or any blockbuster film in general, uh, ninety seconds of the credits is just the CGI team because of how massive they are. <laughs> right, that's absolutely true. You, you don't have that with comic books because you don't have a uh, hundred a hundred thousand people working on a page in comics. The only other thing that I wanted to say on this before we move on is, uh, you know, and I got to be honest, and maybe I'm exposing myself. As uh, not a not a not a deep comic book uh, uh, reader, but I I gotta say I really don't care about the Eisners. I'm just I'm just putting it out there. Really? Like, I yeah I feel the same way about the Eisners as I do about the Oscars or whatever else. The bunch of books that I don't read that I don't know any single person who does read, and uh, it just doesn't do anything for me. 
That's strange, actually, because this week the nomination for the Palsies came in, which is the Pals Annual Award for <laughs> most for the best pals, and you were nominated for best host. Wow, it's you and Marco. I really beat out some <laughs> stiff competition. Well, you're not. Are you fucking? Are you fucking kidding me, Phil? (laughs) Nice. People snubbed. Marco beats me out. I host two shows. Listen, man, I'm not the one. I'm not in the academy. Listen, that doesn't mean you host two shows well. (laughs) All right, Cal. All right. We want. We want to start throwing shade. We can talk about the Riverdale review. All right. Um, Yeah. Okay. You host that. Yeah, why do I host that? Huh. Okay, guess uh, what, guys? This isn't uh, therapy, pals. This is the comics, pals. This isn't and therapy. This this also isn't therapy. Th- thank you very much, listeners, for selecting me as your favorite pal. Um, I really appreciate it. I know this is, means a lot to, to everybody, especially all you listeners out there. So thank you. This is ridiculous because it? it's only the nominations. <laughs> uh, but I mean, but, come on. It's basically, I basically have it in the bag, so it's fine. Seriously, though, I, I, I wanted to... What do you guys think about the Eisners? Do you do you care? I feel the same way about them as I feel about every award show. I I think that like it's nice that it exists, but I don't think that they're important. Like it, it's it's an awesome awesome thing to be able to say I'm an Eisner Award winner that can do a lot for your career. Um, it, it's great to have a place where creators get recognized and where you can have somebody like you know. Whoever, take your pick, right? Somebody who's a lesser known comic book creator that isn't a a fucking Scott Snyder or somebody who can go up on stage and be acknowledged for their work and for the quality of what they've contributed to the industry. That's great. And I think it's awesome to have that celebration. But in terms of if it's something that I get excited for, like, not really, if I'm being honest. And the whole like, oh, all the Eisner award winning Marvel stories got canceled. It's like, that's not, that's a non-story. Like Eisner award winning books get canceled every year. Fucking Omega Men was an Eisner award winning book and it Mm -hmm. got canceled. You know, it's like, it's not about the diversity. It's not about this or that it's that a, a book winning in eisner doesn't mean that it's popular and it doesn't mean that it sells it means that critics received it well the industry received it well and that's not that many people listen yep. listen you guys just aren't award winners like me back when i was in university i won the people's choice in the male beauty con- contest which is true by the way <laughs> small university huh? wow <laughs> but but <laughs> they had just gone co-ed that year and phil was the first man to apply <laughs> but um in, in, in all seriousness it's it's recognition um for your work that's that's that <laughs> in, in light of what i said before that's really funny actually <laughs> But um, no, it's 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 recognition uh, in light of your work you've done, and I think that's true for any award ceremony. Maybe it is a little superfluous and a little, uh, you know, patting yourselves on the back kind of thing. But at the end of the day, uh, it feels good to be recognized for something that you work hard at, and to be celebrated by your peers. Yeah, yeah. I I, I tend to use the Eisners as just like a, a ground for like, hey, this is a cool artist that got nominated. Let me see what they do, or like, hey, this is a cool book that was nominated and it's supposed to be really good. And like, I just use it as a way to find other books to read and other stories to absorb. It's a way I really like to use to figure out what books I want to read and then be upset that they were canceled by the time I read them. If, if I see uh, Eisner award nominated or winner, I like, it, it does make me pick up a book. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the very least, um, 
because it it is you know it is a judgment on the quality um so i i i i do pay attention um you know uh i'm a trade waiter so that you know that doesn't make that much of a difference but um yeah it's not i wouldn't say you know i'm up every year i huddle around the campfire and do my eisner picks you know but like having the Eisner seal on on a book, that's I like that is a big deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially if you're an up and coming creator, you know. Like I don't think that we would have seen Gerard Way blow up in the way he had if Umbrella Academy wasn't an Eisner Award winner. You know, it was his first comic. He wins an Eisner. All of a sudden, he's got this imprint at DC. Like I don't think that was by accident. Or you know? Matthew Rosenberg. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Like I think if you're an up and comer who's really talented but hasn't proven yourself yet, an Eisner Award uh, can make your career. Sure. And, like, that's good. Just like when I won my male beauty contest, it really made my career. Exactly. You wouldn't be here today if not for that. (laughs) Face for radio. That's right. And sadly, now we are uh, a video podcast, so... That's going to hurt us. Uh, so <laughs> we're, we're gonna, <laughs> Indeed. We're going to be reviewing uh, Avengers Infinity War very shortly. But uh, legendary figure and creator of Thanos, Jim Starlin, has already put his review out there uh, for this movie. Of course, it does star uh, his creation and the, cre- the, the character he can't get enough of. And so naturally, he had some thoughts. Uh, and we don't have to belabor this or any of the other things that I'm about to bring up, but I thought they added some character to yeah. a discussion about the movie. So this is what he had to say. I know my opinion should be considered a bit biased because of my connection to the production, but the Russos, Marcus, McFeely, and everyone else involved in this film get my heartfelt thanks for bringing everyone's favorite Titan to life in the best way possible in a jaw-droppingly awesome fashion. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad he felt that way. You know, it's like... I feel like it can always go 50-50. Like, you either get the creators who are, like, so precious about the work that they get upset by the adaption or, like, the people who are just happy to see what they made be honored and find a new audience or whatever. And it's, you know, considering his, like, affection for Thanos, I'm glad that he enjoyed it. You know, that's a really cool moment for him, I'm sure, to be able to see that character finally realized in this other way, you know? Yeah. Get over it, Alan Moore. Ooh. <laughs> I'm like, I, Dude, don't don't say that. He's gonna fucking cast a spell on us. Oh shit! I'm probably gonna disappear. <laughs> you're, you're gonna turn into a toad. Wait, you already are. But my point is, this is my favorite feud right now. Marco versus Alan Moore. <laughs> uh, the only other thing that that I I wanted to add is that it, it's it's gotta be so it's gotta be so damn cool to see this man. Like, you know, uh, we've all we've all created something or or been passionate about something uh at some point and for you to create something that then gets to be this big but then not only that to see somebody else take it make it this big and do such a good job with it you know we're going to talk more about it later but like i don't think there's anybody walking out of that theater thinking wow they gave thanos the short end of the stick you know um that's got to feel awesome 
for for Jim Starlin. Especially yeah. when the biggest problem with these movies is generally that the antagonists are not very good, and the fact that it's like, oh, well, my character's awesome though, and they nailed it, you know. So that's that's awesome. That's a huge achievement. A slight sidebar here, but I just had a thought. Do you do you guys think that Jim Starlin has a similar relationship to Thanos that Thanos does to Death? Thanos tries and tries and he creates and destroys to appeal and to uh, and to please death and she never acknowledges him and Jim Starlin just creates keeps creating stories and stories about Thanos but Thanos isn't impressed with Jim Starlin. I wish I could get that time back. So uh, <laughs> my my popcorn story's not sounded so bad now, huh? <laughs> Absolutely right. I'm wondering if that was going to be Phil's opening bit and that would have sucked. Okay, it wasn't. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, we talked about creators getting their credit you know we talked about it with the eisners um and uh marvel and marvel studios have done a better job of giving credit to creators than the eisners did because for those of you who have seen avengers infinity war you know that several seconds were spent giving credit where credit is due uh this was one of the longest credit sections I've ever seen for comics creators for a movie, and I really felt touched. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but there's a laundry list of creators who did receive credit for their contributions to the creation and the furthering of these characters. Um, obviously, uh, Simon and Kirby for Captain America, um, Engelhard for, and, St- and Steve Gann for Star-Lord, um, Jim Starlin for all the characters involved that he created. Um, Dan Abnett got got his credit. Uh, Brian Bendis, Ed Brubaker, uh, Jim Chung, Ta-Nehisi Coates, which I was surprised by just because he's kind of new to the game. Um, Steve Epting, Steve Ditko, David Finch, Jonathan Hickman, who had a huge part in bringing uh, Thanos into the modern era, uh, you could say, and everything he did with the Illuminati. Um, Ron Lim, the artist behind, one of the artists behind Infinity oh, Gauntlet, yeah. which we just checked out on a uh, episode of the book club. Uh, Jerome Pena, George Perez, the other artist on Infinity Gauntlet. So whatever, it goes, it's a lot. It's a long list. It's like list. 30 or 40 people. <laughs> yeah, and I was just, I was impressed and thankful just because obviously these creators mean a lot to us. And it's cool to see them get acknowledged in this way. And I'm sure it felt great for them. I saw Bendis on Twitter. Very thankful and humbled um, by this, seeing his name up there, along with all these amazing talents. So just, uh, just cool. It was cool where they put it, too. I like that it was near the end of the credits because it was like, oh, hey, like everything's getting thin. So it's very, very prominent. And you're paying attention again because it's about to end. And you're going to. So it's like I remember I had tuned out. And was looking at my phone, and then I looked back up because I noticed it was ending, and then I'm just like, creators! And I was like, oh, that's that's awesome. That's a great way to give them that nod, you know? But, you know, I didn't see my name in the credits. Because you haven't done anything yet. <laughs> huh? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Sarah Pacelli is listed in the credits, um, and, like, I, I don't know what, you know, what for or anything, but uh, I'm pretty sure uh, that her one, she's the only woman. Two, her name is also spelled wrong. Oh, boo! Oh, that's a bummer. And like, from what I understand, her uh, hers was the only one misspelled. Ooh. <laughs> 
That's uh, that's a good look. Not great. Let's uh, let's jump ahead here, uh, because Avengers: Infinity War, unsurprisingly, is kicking ass at the box office. Uh, according to Variety, the movie looks like it's going to break two hundred and twenty-five million dollars in its opening weekend. Uh, Sean, so, uh, Sean, the the, the movie's uh, kicking names. <laughs> kicking names and taking ass. Taking ass. That's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, so Marcos, Marcos, like definitely our mantis. Oh, definitely. Without question. Wait, so who's no, our drags? Uh, no, dude, you're mantis. No, you're oh. mantis. Uh, so just so, just to put this out there, that puts it at second on the all-time domestic opening list. Uh. Sandwiched between the most recent Star Wars movies. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, Force Awakens made 248. Last Jedi is sitting at 220. Uh, so, that's pretty good company. And uh, this movie just came out. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure, like... I just, I just imagine, like, the Disney execs have a Scrooge McDuckian fucking pool of money where they're just like, oh, yeah, top five. <laughs> how, how long until they have the entire top five? Because, like, what else is in that top five anymore that's not a Disney property? Avatar? And, like, that's it? Like, huh? Huh? Boy, I'm taking over the world, damn it. Huh? <laughs> that's creepy. Come on here, Porto! Dude, if I'm Kevin Feige, I'm having the Brinks truck roll in, right? And I'm opening all my doors and windows and just letting the money flow. I want to see how much of my house I can fill up with cash that I've made off these movies. Yeah, no, and, like, I'm sure he has to walk through his house with, like, a fucking plow so that he can just shovel the money out of his way when he's got to take a shit. Dude, Into his golden toilet made of Iron Man armor. (laughs) I'm not plowing. I'm walking right through that fucking uh, ocean, and I'm using the bathroom, and I'm using the money to clean Wipe my fucking ass. See, I was trying to say it in a nice way. You had to go right. No, 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 no. Fuck that. Kevin Feige doesn't have to say it in a nice way. He's a G. (laughs) Are you Kevin Feige? I don't see you with Kevin Feige money. When are you going to make a movie that makes a billion dollars? I was going to say, I have to dupe Sony out of the rights to something they don't see the value in. That's how I'm going to do it. Not Venom. <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll, we'll keep track of that. And uh, uh, odds this movie breaks a billion? I mean. Yes. Better than any other movie ever made, probably. I don't know what the odds are, but like if that happened, I wouldn't. it wouldn't be a total shock. I'm there with you. I wouldn't be. I, I, I expect it at this point. Have the Eisners acknowledged it at all? No. Probably not. So Avengers Infinity War has released, and uh, we're here to review it. And, of course, as we always do, I want to start off by having you guys guess the score that the movie receives from Rotten Tomatoes. So I haven't as seen always, this at all. Good. We're going to do the tomato meter. So I want a number for the tomato meter and a number for the audience score. Who wants to start? I'll go first. Me, I say 94 across both. Okay. I'm going to say 89 tomato meter and 95 for the uh, fan reaction. Okay. Yours was 89, Phil? Yeah. Tomato meters critics, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to say I'm going to say 85 tomato meter, 92. I'm I'm going to split the difference in the interest of trying to 
keep my scores up in this competition. I'm gonna one s- penny. Uh, no, I'm gonna say uh, a ninety for the tomato meter, and I, I think I think I'm I'm with Kale on this one. We're like a, a ninety-two on the fan scale. All right. Interesting. Interesting. We're off. We're off. Look so, at Sean's face. We're fucking so off. <laughs> one of you is not. Oh, okay. One of you is not. One of you is almost right on, actually. Uh, so the tomato meter is an 84%. Okay. Oh, huh. Kale said 83. Nice. I said, I said 85. Oh, yeah. You said 85. Okay. Yeah. And then the audience score is a 93%. Ooh. Wow. Damn, Kale. said a 92. Kale yeah, slammed it. I said 92. So, Kale. Damn. Yeah, one, 1% margin of error on that. Like, that's a win. That's good. Kale, you wearing your Air Jordans today? Because you're dunking some balls, dude. <laughs> I gotta start wearing those every day. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta be able to afford those. Uh, so I'm actually kind of surprised by that tomato meter. A little lower than I expected. Yeah, uh, we're talking 258 reviews, 217 fresh, 41 rotten. You really, I mean, that's like that's pretty good. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so uh, we're gonna jump into it now with our spoiler-free review. Remember, if you haven't seen the movie yet, this is a safe space for you you can listen to this portion we'll be very clear on when you need to jump because this is literally the most spoilerable movie i have ever seen in my life and i would never ever do that to somebody so we'll be very cautious with what we say if anything hopefully this inspires you to go see the movie or gives you some more excitement if you're you know still waiting for some strange reason to go check it out uh, so we'll start with our takes. Uh, let's let's make sure to keep it spoiler free and just give us you know your thoughts on the the acting, the general story, you know stuff like that. Give us your social media review. Hundred forty right. characters. <laughs> Kale, why don't you start? Oh man, uh, <laughs> I gotta go with Murphy. I wasn't huh. crazy about it. What I um, and it's not to say that I didn't like it. But I had a lot more problems with it than I thought I would. Huh. That's interesting. Um, it's – if you're a comic book reader, I feel like you you will recognize what this movie is. It's it's an event. This is a comic book event. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, uh, well – I mean, yeah. Don't get don't give me your your bullshit. Yeah, that's obvious. But like, yes. No, I, like I this, actually was like excited when you said. No, that. I I know you were. I'm talking to Pete. Oh. <laughs> every time every time we disagree, he thinks he's <laughs> oh hot shit because I'm stating something obvious. <laughs> like this this. I'm sorry, I'm screeching the show right now, but that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> like this this movie it it pulls you in several different directions and it 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 wants you to have kept track and you know your mileage may vary with that like i this isn't me saying that it was a bad movie because of that but for that reason for me uh, you know i i didn't i didn't appreciate it as much as i wanted to okay what about the acting? Yeah, acting was on point all around. I think the only yeah okay. So uh, my one of my big goals was to come out of this movie liking Doctor Strange a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like I did. I feel like he was better in this movie. 
The other person I feel like they really got right was uh, Bruce Banner. Mm. Okay, yeah. Um, I really, really liked the the interaction between Hulk and Banner this this time. Um, I would say, I guess, I would say the only character I I actually didn't like that much was Spider Man, and I was really surprised by that. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, I I haven't seen. I still haven't seen Homecoming. Um, but for me, he's still, he's just an extension of what he was in Civil War, uh, which is like, for me, it felt like he was a, an Iron Man lackey. (laughs) Award, if you will. Award. All right. Uh, we'll get into that. I, I, I won't, but yeah. Um, other, other than that, I, 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 I feel like. I feel like ever all the characters were very true to, um, true to you know who they have been in in the previous movies, and the conflicts that arise do arise because you know of the nature of the event. They have to s- distill those personalities to fit everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good and bad, and you know we'll get we'll get into uh, what. What star rating would you give it out of ten? I probably would give it a seven. Oh, that's wow. crazy! That's a gut punch. <clears throat> All right, okay, uh, Phil. So it's funny. I didn't think those guys were right, but you know that petition was really the good idea. The Zack Snyder director's cut of this was a lot better than the movie we saw in November. <laughs> now that I saw was that, one coming. that was my I opening mean. joke. Okay. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I had that one planned for a few days. Um, <laughs> cool. Been working on that one for a while. <laughs> that's a ten star joke right there. Well, uh, but I'm with Kale on a seven. <laughs> Carry on with your review. Uh, it was good. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Um, no, Phil, we can leave it there. <laughs> Brevity. Yeah, you know what? Um, I, I had problems with it, and I don't think it was uh, problems with, uh, like, I, 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 I have qualms, I guess, but it, uh, it was good. I, uh, it, was, it was a lot better than the first two, that's for sure. First two Avengers movies. Uh, like, landslide better. Like, holy crap. Uh I could actually rewatch this movie where I can't watch. I, I don't ever have any intention on watching the other two Avengers movies. Uh, acting wise, it was really good. Uh, I thought the people that really stole the show for me and my money <clears throat> were Jeremy Renner. He really killed it. Uh, Paul Rudd also killed it. <laughs> and also um, Chris Evans Chris Hemsworth and Josh Brolin as a uh, Thor, Captain America, and Thanos—they—they—they they, they, they were incredible in this movie. I thought from an acting range. And then to answer the final question here, I'll, uh, to Marco's point, I will leave it at brevity because I have a lot more to say when we actually get into the spoilers. Uh, for a star rating, I'd probably give it like a eight out of ten. Uh, Pete, I would say I echo a lot of Phil sentiments. I think um, there are some problems with the movie that I think stem from what it is, you know, like, uh, it's an event and it's, uh, the culmination of 19 other films, give or take a few. 
And I think um, that is both to its benefit and its detriment. And I, 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 I personally don't think that there's a better version of this movie, though. Like, I think it's as good as it can be with what it is and what its goals are. You know, um, I, the point of this film is character interaction and moments. And it's really good at that. And um, I think uh, without spoiling anything, uh, I think this is the Marvel Cinematic Universe's like empire moment in a lot of ways. And where like the where it is kind of the arc in the story of the overall universe. And um, that is like a, a breath of fresh air. That there are a lot of little tonal things, even in the way that, like, the movie has, like, kind of a cold open and stuff like that. Like, there are little, little choices they made that are very different from what's come before and I think really make what this is and what it's trying to be work and succeed. Um, I think the pacing is really good for what it is and how much it has to accomplish. There, It's a little breakneck in the beginning and then it kind of slows down, um, but it's always moving and I never, ever got lost in it. I never felt like... Uh, Batman v Superman or Justice League where it's like what the fuck is even happening anymore you know where they're just throwing shit at you like I was with it the whole time you know and I think all the characters are consistently written and handled well I, I didn't feel like anybody was um, taken back at all or, or, or regressed by this event you know it, it feels like everyone is coming in at a natural point from where we saw them last and um, I think the the way that they chose to break up the characters was really interesting. There are pairings that I weren't expecting that I thought played really well. I thought um, like Rocket and uh, Thor have one of the, the best moments in the movie for me. And that was something I wasn't expecting, right? That was not one of the pairings I was like, I can't wait for Rocket and Thor to have a conversation. Um, and the fact that they were able to surprise me in those ways and and also keep some other things that I thought I would get off the table and not disappoint me, I think is a, is a testament to how good a job the Russo brothers did on this film. Um, as far as the acting is concerned, I think uh, the cast did a great job. Um, I, I was really impressed with Josh Brolin as Thanos. Um, he had a lot that he had to do. And for him to be such a um, good character, even though he's like entirely CGI and everything like that, is something that uh, I think speaks to his acting chops. You know, I think his voice is really, really powerful. I heard him as Thanos, you know, and that's that's huge. So, uh, uh, you know, major props to him, I think. Um, but I don't really think there's a weak link in the cast. You know, and I think even the characters who I felt were underserved, um, I thought the moments that they had were were solid and, and they, they did a good job with what they were given. So, uh, yeah, overall, I would say my, my feelings are overwhelmingly positive. Um, I think that the highest praise that I can give it is that it gave me a feeling I haven't had since Avengers, you know, that moment of just like a, a genuine excitement of just like, I can't believe we're here and we, and we've gotten this far, you know, and I can't believe I'm finally seeing, you know, like, you know, like Tony and, and Steve interact. Right. And like getting those dynamics where it's like, yeah, like. I remember seeing that movie a few years ago and being like, it's going to be really fun when they finally get together and actually getting those moments um, is something special. And th I don't think any other uh, movie aside from Avengers has ever really succeeded at that. Every other Marvel movie feels like it's building to something. This felt like the culmination of something. And that's really cool. Uh, as for like a star rating, I'd say I'd give it probably a nine, you know, like nine, just a solid nine. Um, 
you know, between the eight, five, nine range. It's, it's good. It's, it's, uh, it flirts with greatness, but, um, it's, you know, it's got problems. Your review made me think of a Stephen Colbert tweet I saw the other day, which is these movies have become so, uh, so like the comic books from a cultural standpoint and the sensor is like, wait, you mean to tell me all I have to do is see 17 movies to get Avengers Infinity War? And I was like, holy shit, that's comics. Well, and that's the thing, right? It, that it is. This is comics. This is a comic book event in a movie in the truest sense. It, it was just know? funny because we're here now. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't have to, though. You only really have to see Avengers, uh, Age of Ultron, and Civil War, and you'll you'll understand essentially what's happening. If you see Thor Ragnarok, it adds. If you see Black Panther, it adds. But you get you get the idea, like because every every major beat has played out in those movies. The major beats have played out in those movies. I would argue that the Guardians are important too, because otherwise the whole Thanos, uh, Gamora, Nebula triangle thing doesn't really like have any meaning. Otherwise, you also don't know who those characters are. So, Guardians, yeah. Guardians one, I would say. But it's yeah. like six or seven movies. No big deal. <laughs> um, Marco, what's your what's your take, man? Um, I largely uh, feel the same way Pete does uh, on on the movie, like with regard to the to the acting, with regard to the the way that they sort of took the story, and I think uh, Pete, I, I'm I'm assuming we sort of have uh, similar issues, maybe with it just culminating into the event and and i know for me specifically like um uh, i went to go see it with my girlfriend and uh she was kind of lost in a lot of parts so she'd like lean over and it's like hey what is this thing hey what is this thing because she hasn't seen those movies and she hasn't seen that so for me the the sort of loss came from the prior knowledge potentially needed for this um yeah it doesn't say on its own it, it it can to an extent but it's it for i i think it was it's difficult for that um, and I think that was my only big point of contention. The only other thing I think is, uh, that I want to add at least is, uh, in terms of the directing style that the Russo's brothers took, the Russo's brothers took, I think it was a uh, sort of a deviation from what they've done before. They made it a little bit more like, uh, there's a lot more handheld shaky cam stuff, which I think, um, like right off the bat, you can kind of, you can, you can see in the first scene and, um, I don't know, I think that was a an interesting choice to take for this movie, uh, but I think it was an appropriate one. Uh, and we'll get more into it a little bit later, but there are like specific scenes and specific instances where the, that directorial style sort of added to the movie and in other moments it might have taken away from it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really well said. Mark was praising a superhero movie. Oh, I, I'm giving it about like a 8.79 to that around that range. Are you sick? Are you well, my boy? My dear son? <laughs> dear Ward? <So. laughs> dear Ward? So I, uh, I really loved it. I think this is an appropriate portion of the culmination of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it has existed for the last 10 years. Uh, I think that the Russo brothers proved that they get it. And I think they get it in a way that no one other than you could argue like James Gunn has really gotten it. Uh, because they 
they allow themselves to tell a story. And of course, Marcus and McFeely, the writers as well, they allow themselves to tell a story that feels like it's that that doesn't feel like it was created in a room full of people in suits trying to do something epic. It feels like a story that was created by people who give a shit about these characters, about this world, about all the whatever 60 characters that were in it, and found a way to tell something cohesive within that space in two hours and 30 minutes. Did they struggle to tell? <clears throat> Did they struggle to get it all in? Yeah, because that's not enough time. Uh, by the end, I was thinking to myself, wow, we've probably got like, what, another half hour to go? Like, right? I thought know? the same fucking thing. <laughs> right. And despite that, I didn't leave the theater feeling overwhelmed in a negative sense or underwhelmed in a negative sense. I left feeling like I need more and that's good. Um, I think that from top to bottom, they did an excellent job at um, creating stakes that felt deserving of where we're at. Uh, and, and, and not leaning too heavily on things that have happened already for those of us in the audience who haven't seen every single movie, which I also appreciated. Yes, you will be lost on certain things if you haven't seen every movie, but that's your choice and you'll still get an experience. You'll still get an almost full experience if you don't watch every movie. When it comes to the plot and the pacing of it, I think that they did an excellent job at piecing this thing together and not having there be those moments where it's like, wow, this is dragging. Guardians 2, I literally was, I, I fell asleep because it felt so slow. This movie felt right on pace. It, it, it kept up um, and it and they expertly wove big moments throughout the movie so that you were never in too large of a lull, I thought. Um I have I could sing praises for ages. Let me just get into the acting. I thought the acting was top notch. This is a Thanos movie. Uh, he carries it, I think, along with for me the the MVP was Doctor Strange. The MVP of this movie was Doctor Strange. Uh, I feel that way uh, from an acting perspective, but but from a character perspective, um, this was the Doctor Strange I always wanted to get. Uh, also with Thor, this was the Thor I always wanted. Those two characters and their act and the actors who portray them really went above and beyond, better than they've been in their own movies even, uh, to make this something special. Um, uh, and, and then you know for the the other actors who I'm not necessarily naming, everybody did a, a solid job. There wasn't so, there wasn't anybody who I thought actor wise just stunk. You know, everybody brought their best. Um, and as a rating, I am going to give it an, uh, I, I want to give it a nine five, but I got to see it again. Uh, so for this episode, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a nine five with the asterisk that that may go down or maybe, or it may go up depending on how I feel after I see it again. But that's where I'm at with that. Did you like it more than the defenders? What? (laughs) All right. So let me jump. let me ask let me yeah, ask yeah, one yeah. question before sure. we jump into the spoiler film. So when uh, uh, around the time that they started really um, building the hype train for this movie, uh, the Russo said that they wanted Thanos to be the next Darth Vader. Do you guys feel like they accomplished that? Uh, no, no, but I don't think anyone can. I think that was a lofty goal. Like I don't I don't think Thanos is 
Darth Vader, but no one's Darth Vader. I don't know, though, because the thing about Darth Vader is that even in the single uh, solo Star Wars film that came out in 1977, he had such a large cultural impact that he had already become such a massive uh, villain in cinema history. The, like, like all by, by like just by the time that film came out, he was a cultural icon. Yeah, yeah. I think I I would even maybe argue that Thanos has more time on screen than Darth Vader does in any of those movies. But this is this is my other thing. It, it, it's so difficult to create a cultural icon like that. Like, how many are there in history? The last big villain cultural icon I think is probably like he's uh, he's Ledger's Joker, right? That was ten years ago. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and I, I think that's the bigger problem is like you can't like no one can ever be Darth Vader again, you know, like and and maybe to say no one can is uh, is limiting, but like well, Heath Ledger was sure Joker was that's that's a great yeah uh, and, and yeah Hannibal but, Lecter like th- there's a handful it's just very sure. difficult to do but it's one of those things like when you think about even Heath Ledger though like a big part of that was that he died in real life. Too. Like, right, it was that's, some we're that getting into like a whole. You're right. All I was trying to say was that like Darth Vader was the first, and like to try and compare Thanos to him is unfair. One of the first. So uh, let's jump into the spoiler territory again. We're going to spoil the whole movie, so if you haven't seen it, now's the time to jump off. If you are jumping off, definitely do come back next week and share your thoughts about the movie once you have seen it. Um, so thanks for listening and, uh, we'll see you later. All right. So let's jump into our spoiler thoughts and let's, let's go ahead, Phil. What, what you got? I just had, I just had a quick thought during our book club episode on the infinity gauntlet. We made a lot of jokes about Hawkeye not being there. And all I could think about during this movie is how Hawkeye wasn't there and Kale <laughs> was right. <laughs> and, and like, I'm pretty sure that I, that someone like someone high up in like the Marvel movie bits like said that he would be in this movie. Oh, oh I didn't they, know that. They lied to us about a ton of stuff. Like there was that whole Vanity Fair or whatever. I don't remember what magazine it was, but it was an interview with like the original Avengers talking about how this was like, oh, the last time we're going to be like, you know, and they were talking about it as if it was yeah, Infinity sure. War, but they were talking about the shoot of both of these movies back to back. So they like definitely misled us in some ways with the way that they presented information, you know? So I want to start from the beginning uh, because I think this movie's opening is something that we've not really seen before in a Marvel movie. And I think it sets the tone completely for what it for what this film is. Uh, and so we, we start where Thor Ragnarok pretty much leaves off. Which is, you know, Thanos is on is on the uh, ship that Thor and the Asgardians and Loki and Hulk have all kind of taken, and you know they've, they're just in space. Um, Thanos and the Black Order, the, the the children of Thanos, they're on the ship. They've raised it. They've killed so many people, so many Asgardians, and then uh, Thanos is trying to get the Tesseract that we we know the audience knows that Loki has. But Thor doesn't know that. So Thor is genuinely telling him, like, hey, I don't know where the hell that is. It blew up or whatever. And then Loki's like, hey, actually, I have this. And then we get this fight between Hulk and Thanos. And I really like that the movie started with that. That's the first fight because it got it out of the way. So many people have asked me, uh, friends of mine and things, 
how strong is Thanos? Can he like can he fight the Hulk? Like it's always the barometer. And so they got it out of the way within the first five minutes of the movie that yes, Thanos can actually not only fight the Hulk but beat him really bad. So I like that. And then we get our first two deaths of the movie within minutes. Loki and Heimdall gone. Yeah, yeah, not Love not it. counting the off-screen killing sure. of everyone yeah. in in Asgard. That yeah, right. That scene was fucking crazy. Like, I cannot state that enough. I thought it, like, kind of legitimized Thor Ragnarok, which I wasn't crazy about. I was like, well, shit, this kind of, I don't know how, but <laughs> made me feel, feel a little more positively about the film. And, like, they didn't say this in the beginning, but they do say, like, half, half of the Asgardians are dead. Right. But watching this, I was like, holy shit, this is genocide. <laughs> right away. Of an entire god race. What the fuck? Yeah, especially because, like, when it's like, oh, half of them were just killed, and it's like, this is already a fraction of a fraction that are yes. left. You know? Yeah. So it's like, what are there, yeah. fucking 40 of them left now? You know? Like, Jesus so, Christ. It's still essentially a genocide, because a genocide doesn't implicitly mean the extinction of an entire group of people. Uh, and the killing of Loki, who was, um, like, <laughs> there was a great disturbance in the force after Loki died. A million Tumblr girls and boys screamed in unison <laughs> as if a voice was silenced. They called out in anguish. <laughs> they called out in anguish. <laughs> uh, I, I, I really appreciated the Hulk Thanos fight. I thought, I thought like that was that was the one uh, moment in this movie where I was like, "Holy fuck, that's right out of the comics." They set the tone. It, it gives you everything you need to know about Thanos, the, like his his, his 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 how imposing he is. Yeah. Well, and and I like that it's like it's quick and it happens right away. He like, just it's, they don't him. linger on it. It's not this major action set. Like he fucking whoops his ass, and then that's it. You know. I do love that. Hulk like, scared. Yeah. Like, and that was so. Like, this guy scares the Hulk. Right. It's like whoa. Like that's. It's one thing to say that he could beat him in a fight, but the fact that he wasn't even willing to fight him again is like, fuck. Like, yeah, it speaks, like, a lot about how powerful Thanos is, but I think it even more speaks about how powerful the stones are making him. You know, because he already has the power gem when he fights the Hulk. This, this movie... And I like that that happened off screen as well. This movie... Yeah. Is... The purple one, yeah. It, yeah. Comp- it comprises of moments. That, that That's like the selling point of this movie is it it feels like a bunch of really good moments tied together. And for me, this is one of the actual best scenes in the film, like this whole uh, uh, cold open. Um, It's also where like the, like right off the bat, they also start the shaky cam stuff. Like they start with the feet and like they're following the feet. Like it's, it's all handheld. It's not the smooth stuff that we saw in like civil war where as they're coming converging, you know, it's like they're following, they're tracking the shots and everything. So like right off the bat, it's uh, it's just from a directorial standpoint, just more uh, a little bit more violent, a little bit more um, tense, like intimate very, too. Yeah, very claustrophobic almost, like because they were very like close up on following the feet, like just passing over, not even necessarily full bodies, but like parts like uh chest up just heads and stuff like that. So it was very uh, it it yeah it set the tone both story wise and just direction wise as to like how this was going to be playing out and how it was going to be displayed for everybody else i also think 
having them having Thanos kill Loki was really like kind of poetic that it was like that's another way to really set him up is like oh hey remember like the old big bad villain the guy that we used to like look to as the you know paramount well it's like well he's he literally just outthinks him and wipes him out yeah he's nothing yeah he's an insect and like that and obviously having thor watch the two of them get killed in front of him too was really uh tough to watch you know yeah, uh, the only the only problem I guess I had with that scene, and it's not a big deal, but it just struck me as a little odd, is that Heimdall's last action is to open up the Rainbow Bridge, which is super smart. But then, for some reason, Hulk is the only one who's like who who goes. Um, I didn't understand why Thor didn't just jump on that, or you know, whatever. Wasn't Thor still Thor was still bound, wasn't he? I don't remember. Yeah, he I was. Think, I, yeah, he, thinks, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He was, but he you would, was. You would think he would still open a Rainbow Bridge for his like best friend or whatever, right? So he could get swept in. Hulk was knocked out, so he had he didn't he didn't jump on. He just got taken. Why couldn't yeah. Thor get taken? I, so I I was a little unclear about that as well. I couldn't tell if it was because like there was something wrong with the bridge because it had been fucked up because he like I thought he looked like he was a little surprised by it too maybe but then I rationalized it to think well Thor is like in front of Thanos and captured like maybe he couldn't hit Thor without getting Thanos or whatever where he's like I can do it with Hulk he won't like notice until it's too late and then the the heroes of Earth will at least know what happened yeah yeah I took it to be more of a, a an angle thing more than you know I can see that just seemed extra convenient yeah uh, but yeah but i, 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 I let it go thought. you know but yeah so one of those like heat of the moment things of just like who knows you know like he knew he was gonna die when he did it and he called on this dark energy to do it and everything too so i feel like it was just like last desperate act you know it came off as like plot for me yeah yeah Part of convenience. Did, did you guys uh have a problem with the fact that loki got killed so quickly that he got so little time also? no I mean, no, like, I loved it. I thought it was powerful. Like, it's it sucks because I like Loki and Tom Hiddleston, but it's like we've gotten a lot of Loki in the past, and I think like in the same way that that Hulk fight being in the beginning and being brief was awesome, this was awesome because of that, and it fucking shocked me. You know, like yes. I was like, it really shook me, and it was like in the same way that I felt the cold open set the tone, that set the tone even more of like fuck. Thanos is powerful and anybody could die at any moment. That's that's exactly right. When Loki died, it made it made it feel like anyone could die. There's I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but there's a scene later where Tony Stark gets stabbed, and I'm legitimately thinking like he could actually die here because yeah. everything mm-hmm. everything's off. I was I was the main person saying, "Listen, relax. Cap, Tony, safe." I've told everybody in my You're life so right. they're not dying. And when I saw Tony get stabbed, I was like, I was wrong because I really, I, I wholeheartedly believed it. Like yep. it's over. Yeah, I, I expected it. You know, with everything we've sort of been led to believe up to this point, you know, their contracts are coming up. Like they're going to need something to push the Avengers into the next film. You know, uh, and and I would even go as far as to say like you know and this is this is conspiratorial you know uh whatever but like his his pose in the poster yeah uh, yeah the whole like jesus thing yeah 
you know, led led you to believe that he would be like the martyr for this, you know, for this uh, this film. And to build on that, even the opening scene with Pepper, like we were, they're like, oh, we should settle down or whatever. And it's like, I was like, oh my god, he's gonna die, like. Like, it's yeah, it's like it's like I said, like they set up several Chekhov's gun, and like you know, they they paid off quite a bit of it. Um, I and I guess we'll probably find out how that goes in in part two. But the follow line, the follow up line of after Doctor Strange said it was the only way, in light of the dialogue earlier in the film where he basically said, "There's all these different." There's this algorithm basically through the time gem that says like, oh, there's fourteen thousand different ways to go, and there's only one where we win. Like, million. Yeah, that was, no, was five, fourteen, million. 14 million. Sorry, that was a way uh, under undershot there, but that felt like a payoff when he when he when he helped Tony I mean, recover. I thought so. Yeah, it just like the way for me the way it ended up, it was just like, oh yeah, well. We gave him the time gem, and now he's going to go into the next movie, and, you know, it's just going to be, it's going to be, oh, well, Doctor Strange was right the whole time. That's the only way we could do it, of course. Well, so, so, okay, so we're jumping ahead a little bit, but we might as well. Um, We've all read Infinity Gauntlet, and as it turns out, I think that that book actually was more relevant to this movie than we realized. Yes. Because Doctor Strange is Adam Warlock yes. in this movie. yes. And he did the same thing that uh, the Ancient One does in the Doctor Strange film where he looks into the future. So he absolutely knows that the only way for them to win is for Thanos to win first. Yes. And in and in Civil War, actually, I just rewatched it. There's a line. I think it's Hawkeye that says – to. <laughs> he says to Cap and to uh, Bucky, in order for you, in order for us to win this, some of us are going to have to lose this uh, when they're fighting at the airport in Civil War. And I think that this was a direct echo where Doctor Strange realizes, okay, well, if we don't give him this, right? Some of us are going to lose, and they're going to lose permanently, and he might just kill everybody. And then get what he wants anyway. We're not going to stop him now. We can only stop him later. Um, and, and I think that that's really smart. And I think what's so cool about it is that we actually get the the payoff of, hey, Thanos is not to be messed with. He's going to win. He wins this. He wins in this movie. Right. And so many people did not expect that. So when those characters are dying and stuff, you know, there are real tears in the audience. I, I cried. Um, there was a girl next to me. We were bawling together. I didn't even know who the hell she was. Um, <laughs> you know, like it, it, it was horrible to watch that. I've never had that feeling in a movie theater before. Of course, in the very back of my mind, the comic book reader, the person who's read Infinity Gauntlet knows that this is not permanent. But you still get that moment. So I don't think that what happens in the next movie takes away from that. No, I don't. I don't either. And I, I think like it's funny because I've seen a lot of people express that, and I don't see why it's any different than like I, I made the comparison in the spoiler-free thing of like Empire. Like this is the Empire moment where the good guys have lost, and you know the villains triumphed, and like how are they possibly going to come back and beat these unbeatable odds? You know they're going to. It's a pulp movie. Like it's 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 about heroes and villains. The heroes win. Of course they do. You know, and it's like I don't think I, like I don't know. I, I don't know that I agree with that comparison. Why? Uh, because then there wasn't precedent for that. 
And I don't think in pulps the hero always wins. I can't think of an example where they don't. I mean, I can't either, but like in pulps, I would say especially there is a lot better at, at, at the very least, a lot better chance of the hero not making it through than a superhero comic. Sure. You know, when, when empire came out, it was the first one of its kind. It was the, you know, other than, I don't know, Schindler's list, maybe that was 20 years later. Okay, so not Schindler's List. So it was the first of its kind where the heroes lose. This is based on a comic book. You know, we've if you're familiar with the the material, like you you know what's going to happen. And, you know, uh, the fact that it ends with the disappearance of all these people and all these deaths. Yes, it's absolutely, you know, they constructed it brilliantly. And I'm not, and I'm not taking away from from that, but you know, uh, if if you know the material, like it's not, I, I don't know. And and for for me, I just couldn't divorce that. That that's that's just the unfortunate in my mind. It's the unfortunate reality of of deriving content from it's an adaptation in a way, you know. And like you just like that's just the unfortunate reality of watching uh, the largest budgeted film ever i don't know like this is a massive movie made for a large general audience where the expectation is as to pete's point the heroes always triumph and be, uh, like obviously i knew that it was gonna how it was more more or less going to end if they were going to be relatively faithful i don't think that takes away from it because i, I think the simplicity of doing what is probably right for the direction of the film doesn't take away from the quality of the film. Uh, I don't need a swerve every moment to be like, oh, I didn't see that coming, because uh, I think for yeah, this absolutely. film, it was okay. Absolutely. And and I'm not, that's not the point I'm arguing. Okay. I, I do, there was, I 100% think there was no other way to end this movie. Like, if they, if they didn't do that, it, it would have ruined the movie. But you're, but you're making the point that because you're familiar with the source material and you know this story and you knew that it was coming, that it lessened the impact for you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Probably the same for me. Uh, when, when all the people were disappearing, I was like, all right, well, they'll be back next movie. Yeah, exactly. I can't, I can't argue whether or not it should, like, if it didn't, if, if the impact was lessened for you, it was lessened for you. That you know, then that's and that's that's where it ends. I didn't, ha- I just didn't have that reaction, and I don't know what your audience was like, but there there were people in my audience sobbing at what they were watching, and I'm willing to bet that ninety percent of them have never read Infinity Gauntlet. Sure, mm-hmm. yes, and yeah. probably more for them, huh? Probably more. Yeah, exactly. For them, I might have been the only person who had. For those people. That that moment, that ending, was the most impactful thing that they've probably ever seen in a movie, because these are characters. These are these are the characters we love, especially if you're and, a kid, right? Imagine you're like you're ten when fucking Avengers came out, and now you're sixteen or whatever. So, so the the impact of it, and I think it. I think what it comes down to is where you stand when it comes to stories like this. Are you the kind of person who thinks that Batman dying in Rest in Peace is negated by him coming back later? 
Are you the kind of person who thinks, like, do you think that Superman dying and then coming back later negates the story where he died? Like, you know, the the exact examples, like, do you think Cap dying is negated by him coming back later? Those exact examples may vary, but the, it's, it's a fundamental question of superhero comics. That doesn't bother me. If it bothers you, you probably don't like this ending or you probably or you or you feel like the impact is lessened. I just didn't have that. That's. You know, that's not to say, like, good. Like, I'm I'm pumped it worked for you. I'm pumped it worked for the audience. And I'm pumped they went through with it. Um, Yeah, because, like I said, that ending couldn't have gone any other way. And for them to pull that trigger is huge. I also thought it was kind of brave, too. Because even though we as readers have seen, we kind of have... Uh, we kind of have the uh, Uatu, the Wachu uh, deal where we kind of know what's coming. <laughs> yeah. uh, most of the audience may not think that these characters are coming back at all. Like They may think, like, holy shit, they just killed Doctor Strange. They just killed uh, fucking Black Panther. Like, I heard people gasp when T'Challa disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I lost it. I lost it when he disappeared, so, and I lost it when Spider Man disappeared. Yeah, dude, like, I was in, like, was, yeah. I was sitting next to uh, one of my best friends who is, he really likes Black Panther, and um, had literally just seen the movie, like, a few days prior because he had missed it, but is a fan of the character. And, like, as soon as it happened, he literally just goes, he's just like, fuck no like no and it was like just this like a genuine deep emotional reaction of just like why like why him you know and uh yeah like i don't know man i i don't blame you for feeling that way kale but i'm with sean where it's just like for me the movie did such a good job of like hooking me well before that moment that like i'm i wasn't thinking about the next movie i'm thinking about this moment you know Mm-hmm. Do you know what's strange about that, though, is that the majority of the characters remaining are from, like, the Phase 1 films. The original, yeah. And that's With not the by exception accident. of uh, Strange and... Um... No, Strange no, went Strange. Too. Strange went, too. Yeah. He did? Yep. He did. What? Yeah. Yep. 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 Oh, he did. Yeah, remember oh, God, he goes, that, he like, because remember, right. Tony's like, why? And he's like, there was no other way. And, like, this is Endgame. And then he disappears. It's It's pretty much, it's pretty much... Mostly, uh, there's a couple of the characters. Like, uh, I think Rocket's still there, but Groot isn't. Yeah, Rocket's still so, there. So there's like a, literally all the Guardians, but Rocket are gone. That's right. Uh, and then of course Sam Jackson is gone, and Maria Hill. Like that, they're, they're a couple from the first phase, but for the most part, it's it's phase one characters left. We don't well, know about yeah. that man. And right. then some. Yeah, he's gonna show up. And then like, there's obviously some odds and ends to like, um, like. Black Panther's gone, but uh, what's her name? Okoye. Okoye, thank you. Yeah, like she's still yeah. around. So we, yeah. I think, I think it's probably safe to assume Shuri's probably still there. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Do you think anyone's gonna go in the second film? Wait, is Hawkeye still here or did he disappear? I don't know. I thought he was already gone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, uh, um, I would be willing, I would be willing to bet that. They set that up so that Hawkeye could come back because his family disappeared or some bullshit. And, <laughs> they explained exactly you know. where he was. He was like house arrest or whatever, right? What what Kale means is so that he in can, the second movie, I mean, right? Oh, so oh, that he, okay, can, he can he can come get his vengeance on Thanos. <laughs> I hope he as, does as Ronan. Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, right. Like, like, probably like, like his wife and one of his kids disappeared or something or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So let's 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 double back a little bit because we you know there's a lot of the movie that we kind of jumped over. Thanos's quest in this movie is uh, one of the coolest things I've ever watched unfold. Just because he so villains often have big dumb plots, right? I'm bad because I'm bad, and I'm gonna do this thing because it's evil, and I'm gonna fail, and then it's over. This was very meticulous. He had a strategy. He employed it, and watching him sacrifice to get what he wanted every step of the way was so cool. I honestly think one of the best moments in the whole movie is when he takes Gamora to Vormir, that planet where the Soul Stone is, and and there's the big surprise reveal character nobody expected to see was the Red yeah, Skull. I love that. That was crazy. That was cool. I popped that cool. for that. Um. And then there's this, you know, Red Skull explains this is how it works. You have to sacrifice something or someone you love in order for the Soul Stone to be revealed to you. And then, obviously, Gamora, she doesn't think, she thinks it's over because Thanos loves nothing. But as it I turns love when out, she digs into him and, like, gives him, like, the best. She's like, you're a piece of shit. You don't have feelings. Like, that, that was awesome. That was a great buildup. It was, but I think that that moment where... It's kind of like Red Skull's like he's not he's not crying for himself. He's mourning. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Red Skull realizes like I think most people in the audience realize that she was dead because Thanos had to do what he had to do. That moment sold me on Thanos as a villain that wasn't just believable as a threat, but as a character, as 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 a character with depth. Not just a a, a crazy super villain. Mm-hmm. It's complexity there. Like yeah, he, yeah. There's he has to uh, re- like find that line between uh, I'm evil, but I'm also like I have a cause. Like like he's uh, the same thing with like kind of like like Killmonger. He's the hero of his own story, and and that's what makes that villain compelling. Is like he thinks he's in the right. He thinks he's doing what's what's good, regardless of how he gets there. Yeah, and I think it's like you can also draw some pretty obvious parallels to like how they handled Wilson Fisk in Daredevil, where it's like he's a very like ends justify the means character. He had you vision. Know? Yep. Yeah, he did. Uh, in more <laughs> ways, than, really in more vision. ways than one. <laughs> yeah, and I think I, I was with a few people who like that didn't work for like where someone was like I feel like that whole thing with Thanos was like a big plot hole because it's like why would he care about her and it's like well. I, again, like I don't, I don't understand that because it's like it was set up, like it was in Guardians of the Galaxy. He literally calls her his favorite daughter, like you know what I mean. Like the, the, they've established from the first time these characters were on screen together that he has an affection for her that he doesn't have for other people, and that like it's not so much that it wasn't earned. I, I feel like the audience was confused. I guess the people complaining, I should say, it was like it's surprising that he feels that way. That's. Their reaction is misplaced. You know what I mean? They're like, that doesn't make sense. So much as like, oh, wait, what? You know what I mean? Because they're, yeah. they're, they're eclipsing reactions, I think. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And I think maybe that's a fault of them not setting up that connection clearly enough. No, no, um, I, I, I think they did a great job. I, I mean, even in the movie, like they had the scene where he comes up, he's destroying the whole planet. Like, like they, they set it up. So you can be like, no, he has affection for her. He he, quote unquote, saves her from this planet. He, uh, like wh- when they're uh killing the rest of the people, she like, tries to look over. He turns around. He's like, no, no, like focus on this. Like I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to share some part of me 
with with you regardless of how you reciprocate that like that that i felt was all in there and made that scene super powerful that was that was the scene that made him the most scary because he has this tender side but he's a complete psychopath well and Mm -hmm. i think what also sells me on it is like the conclusion of his story in the thing that they borrowed from infinity gauntlet where it's like he's loved it he's you know, like his goal at the end goal here, right, was never to rule the universe. It was to save the universe. And you don't might not agree with his methods, but he wasn't trying to become like in this incarnation. Right. He's not trying to become a god to become powerful. He's doing it because of his experience on his own planet and and his belief that the bloat of, of life in the universe is going to end life in the universe. That, that was entire motivation is to, is to combat entropy, basically. The disorder of life. How life is chaotic, is unruly. He, his entire purpose is to provide the order of basically eliminating half the life in the galaxy. Or the universe, whatever the scope is. So, let me ask you guys this question. Uh, did two, It's two parts. Number one, did you feel like his goals, or his ultimate goal, as Phil just stated, did you feel that that was well explained in the movie? And then also, did you feel that it was believable? In the comics, he's trying to appease death, right? So there's a there's a very obvious and clear motivation because you see death, you see him, you see how they're interacting. It all makes sense. The movie doesn't have that character. So did his motivations work for you? I actually struggled with this. I had mixed feelings. Uh, at first, I wasn't super sold on it because I was like, his plan doesn't really make a ton of sense. Uh, but I kind of backed off of it because I was like, well, he is the mad titan and is, he's a psychopath. His plan doesn't really need to make sense. It makes sense to him. And that's why he's the villain, is that we can rationalize that his motives don't make any sense. Uh, but, I mean, I, I'm not going to compare it to the comics because it, it doesn't matter. I think it's inconsequential, but I think he was, it, it worked for the movie. So, uh, I, I, want, I want to hear the rest of your guys' thoughts. The reason why I made that comparison is because my girlfriend listened to our book club, and so she knows the motivations from the comics, she was confused. She asked me at the end of the movie, she said, I don't understand why he did that. Uh, Because for her, having there be a a, a character who he could, who he had sort of, um, a character who represented what it was that he wanted, helped her grasp, while we were talking about it in the book club, helped her grasp what his goals were. Divorced from that, it sounded like grandiose talk that ultimately meant nothing. That's what her experience was. So I think that's interesting because the reason I thought it worked for me and the reason I actually like it a little bit better is, um, you know, when we talked about it in our book club, like I made the comparison, like I think Starlin is like a very Shakespearean writer. You know, like you look at Infinity Gauntlet and so many of the major players are personifications of these grandiose ideas and concepts and they're not people, you know, like they're they're gods or they're personifications. And I think what I like about this is it reminded me of Killmonger where like I, I thought his motivation totally made sense because 
like Phil said, it makes sense to him, right? Like whether or not it would actually work, whether or not it actually makes sense is relevant. In his mind, this is the path to save the universe. And he's not a genocidal madman. He's a savior. A prophet. He's a prophet, you know, or, or again, like he's, uh, he's, he's the brush fire that saves the forest, you know, and you don't blame the fire. And I think that to me is super compelling because I, I, I bought, I bought it, you know, like, do I, do I think that what he's doing is right? No, but it's, you can see his internal logic. And I think through the dialogue he has with Gamora, where she's like, you destroyed my home planet or whatever. And he's like, you used to go to bed scrounging for food, living and dying in the streets or whatever. And now because I wiped out half the population, everybody that's there only is known a full belly. And, you know, there's less civil unrest. There's less poverty. And it's hard to argue with those results. He called it a utopia. Exactly. And that's my thing is like, that's what made Thanos work for me is like he was an ends justify the means guy. He doesn't see himself as evil. He doesn't see his actions as evil. He sees them as or maybe maybe he does, but they're necessary evils. You know, they're compromises to make. How can you trade like what they talked about vision, right? Like how can you trade one life for millions of lives? You know, and I think that's his whole thought process. And like it it makes sense whether or not it's true. It works in his own twisted way. With uh, with that, I like how they juxtapose that with Captain America. When he said we don't trade lives for lives, I was like, "Fuck, man, we got Steve Rogers in the house. He's fucking here." Yeah, yep. man. And like he even says, he's like, "Not even one." That's and fucking that's great. Whole, and 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 that puts them at uh, such a good, you know, they're good counterpoints to each other. Yeah, and I think I think the reason why. Thanos worked for me as one of the top villains of all time in this movie is because he can show his work, right? Number one. He can speak, <laughs> like he can say That's good. <laughs> He can say I think this, I did this, it worked how I thought it would, right? You cannot argue with results. Is it horrible that people died? Yeah. But all these years later, no one alive remembers that and all they know is that life's great, right? So that's that's that in and of itself is fantastic. But then you also add that Thanos literally is in in his motives the antithesis of the Avengers, right? Because the Avengers are about saving everybody. Thanos is like, you can't save everybody, and your goals are actually gonna lead to exactly what you're trying to prevent. Here's an alternative solution. And I love that because when you think about the Dark Knight and Heath Ledger. And you think about what he represented to Batman, the Order versus Chaos, both trying to achieve similar goals, but through totally different means. You think about Killmonger and Black Panther, similar situation. I see Thanos as the culmination of that in a way better way, because as I said, he can present to you facts that prove he's right. What, what's bizarre, though, and the problem with it for me, is that the gauntlet is supposed to essentially provide some some form of omnipotence. In the comic... He struggles to grasp it, and he's going crazy. But his motive is still to appeal the person, the the the, the personification of that he loves. Here, he his motive is is driven by grief, by tragedy, and the gauntlet should provide context for you know you could create a universe presumably that is 
rid of starvation and poverty and things like that. Uh, in addition to that, your plan, you're going to have to constantly reset, constantly reset like every 50 years because just look on Earth. Back in the 40s, the population of the planet was 3 billion people. We're rapidly encroaching upon 80, uh, 8, million, 8 billion people now, and there's all kinds of talk of, of resources dwindling because of having to uh, provide for such a large, large population. He's going to have to constantly redo this kind of like the Reapers do in Mass Effect. His plan is by nature flawed, and him having the gauntlet and having such a flawed motivation, that's where my problem lied. I kind of justified it in the sense that, like, well, he's crazy. It's just not implicitly stated that he's crazy, but I'm sure we'll get there. I don't I don't really feel like he would have a problem with that. Oh, 50 years go by, there are more people? All right. I think uh, ultimately, does that does that mean that plan worked? If you have to, if you you have to still be a factor in there, yeah, exactly. Like what happens after you? What happens after you die? Then your plan is like, okay, someone else has to keep this up. Then it's like it's I like the. Like, I don't think he planned on dying. He presumably won't die with the gauntlet. Well, so so I think I think that what it comes down to is like we all have singular focuses, right? We, 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 we come up with a plan and we come up with a way to execute that plan and that's it. Regular humans are like that. So it's not crazy to me to apply that logic to Thanos who already has gone through this horrible trauma of seeing what happened to his home planet and then saving another planet from that experience by doing things his way. Yeah, he's bullheaded for sure. But I don't think that that makes his plan – I don't think it makes his plan a plot hole. I think it makes his plan the flaws – of of the way that people think it's it's not that it's not that his plan that's that's one thing but it's when he has the actual gauntlet that it feels like he should be above it but maybe he's going crazy or something the thing is like in the book by the time we're there he he's already got all six gems right he's going crazy it's it's said over and over and over the gauntlet is is crushing his brain but we don't really have that in the film well, I, I, in the, yeah, in the in the film, it's all about him getting the gems. Yes, and I, I think the counterpoint to that too is you have to think about like to Kale's point, how much time we spend with him with all the gems out in space alone or talking to people and exploring how he feels. Where in this, he gets the gems and is immediately in a conflict with all the other heroes, beats them, does the snap, and then goes and and goes and takes his respite. So I don't think it's uh, no. He actually no, doesn't on. even beat them. Yeah, Thor, yeah Thor he, he gets, the, he gets the last gem and he's killed. He has to do it yeah. because he, it yeah. was about to be over. No, yeah, you're right. Yep. Um, so that's the thing is I don't even feel like he had the opportunity to grapple with how he's feeling with his newfound powers. Right. And I, I, I think we'll probably explore that in the next film. That's why. That's another reason why I'm kind of withholding that actual criticism because there's a whole other movie to actually explore that. So Yeah, we're in the middle of it. You know, like this is the we, – we have no idea what the other half of the story looks like. Right. So uh, that's why – it's just a thought at this point for me. Yeah. 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 Let, let, let's pivot and talk about the Avengers because obviously Thanos' quest is a whole big part of it, but the Avengers are equally a huge part and their goal is to stop him from gathering the gems. Pretty simple. And certain of them have the goal of figuring out a way to actually defeat him. That's what that, uh, that's what Thor is doing. Um, what did you guys think about the, the Avengers as a whole, but then also how they were split in this movie? 
because we did have several camps. So that's actually a part of the problem for me is that it, it, it has a singular focus, but it gets stretched. And I liked certain parts of it more than others. Uh, I like uh, the character interaction stuff's fun, obviously, but I loved the Doctor Strange. This is super ironic, I guess, uh, because perhaps my two least favorite characters in MCU are Iron Man and, and Doctor Strange, I guess. But their their <laughs> scenes were the best scenes in the movie for the Avengers side. Good dynamics. Oh, I, I disagree. Really? Oh, really? Well, I I feel like every scene with them and then with the addition of Peter Quill was a dick measuring contest. Like, and and granted, like that's what those characters do. But it just like it, you're in a, it's you're been in about ten it. years. Are we not past you, this yet? You're, like, you're, you're right, and that was irritating because Quill had a ton of like quips and stuff. I, I've never liked the quips, but I guess, like I said before, this movie is derived of moments. The best moments are those characters' interactions with like Thanos. The Doctor Strange and Thanos fight was visually satisfying. Yeah. That's yeah. the coolest fucking yeah. moment where he does the um. I forget the, the term for it, but where he does, you know, he splits himself into all those different versions of him. Like, that was yeah. such a treat, man. And, and, and <laughs> That's when I got two comic booking, and I was like, man. Oh, fucking Christ. Uh, I'm sorry you hate magic, you fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, that's why Elmore's going to put a fucking hex on you. Um, <laughs> like, the scene where Quill's plan to remove the gauntlet from Thanos was like something straight out of Infinity Gauntlet. I love the shit out of that. I love the shit that's out good. of Quill's tension of like finding out that Gamora is dead. Uh, because Nebula is able to kind of decode what Thanos is saying with Mantis on top of him. Boy, I had a huge problem with that. Too. Why? Because the motivation it, of a dead it, woman... It, it, like it hero. made a hundred. It let me let me be clear. It made a hundred percent. Uh, it made a hundred percent sense for the character, but it was a hundred percent bullshit. You were frustrated because it basically let Thanos go. Be, it, he he. These three white men ruined everything. <laughs> <laughs> they could have fucking done it if they would put aside their goddamn dicks and. But it wasn't. But that's not what happened. Like it. It it was Star Lord's anger and grief that his love died. That he couldn't. He couldn't put aside for the greater universe. I don't think he was thinking clarity there. And like that's fine, dude. But again, like you're saying, these three white men, like Doctor Strange and Iron Man, have nothing to do with Peter Quill's outburst. Iron Man is in fact looking at him and he's like, "Hey, focus up, big picture. We need to fix this." Like, so like. I, I, Listen, man, if, if you, you know, this would be horrible, but if Jess was the one that Thanos had, had, had killed, I think you would have a similar reaction. I agree. But, but, but to, yeah, like, you're right. I would be 100% upset about that. <laughs> but for, in the context of this dude's going to destroy half the universe, dude, I'm sorry. I love her. I'll let her go in a second. That's, but that's like the smallness of love, though, right? Like it, it it eclipses everything. Like you could you could love someone, and that overshadows everything, even everything else that matters in life. And that's what I got out of that. Like I was frustrated, like you, but I thought, man, he loves her. So yeah, it was frustrating because it it, it let Thanos get away, and complete his goal, but. Uh, they chose the character that was most. 
What's that, Marco? Nothing. They chose the character I think was most likely to have that outburst. Quill is the most emotional character in the MCU, probably. Uh, that whole scene, just to throw it back a bit, where Gamora's telling him to shoot her, and Thanos is like, Jesus Christ, let's fucking do it, you fucking pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that was another amazing scene. It was incredible. But, like, I think it, it, was, it felt earned. It was just frustrating because you knew it was coming. I I would be interested, and let me be clear. I'm not interested in having this conversation here. This uh, isn't an invitation. Because, because I'm not smart enough to have it. <laughs> I would be interested in like a, a a feminist take on this film specifically because the majority of the men and especially like if you look at the case of uh, Peter Quill they they won't make the prop the proper sacrifices for the greater good whereas like if there were more women, I feel like, you know, like if 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 the Avengers were women, like they would fucking get it. How can you say that that's, because, th- like, that's true about the majority of men when like who else does that except Peter Quill? Well, I think. Hold on, did I did I not just say I would not like to have this conversation because I'm not smart enough well, to have it? You brought it up, so. Well, well, I also qualified it by saying I don't want to have a conversation. I, I will say this. I think. I think. A, a big feminist critique would be that uh, Quill's motivation uh, for vengeance comes from the death of his female companion, which is obviously like a huge uh, faux pas. Also, compared to the dude lost his mom, so he did, and and you know the root cause being his mom. In the last movie, he lost two dads. You know, uh, so he doesn't want to lose anymore. It's a very selfish thing. But also, like, when you compare that with, uh, you know, the only person who stays to defend what needs defending is Wong, a person of color. It's, it's actually really funny because I think you answered your own question, like, well, did it? Because this is a character who's lost everyone in his life. I, I'm, and also, like, Iron Man leaves Pepper to go to space because he knows that that's where the mission is. Like, Doctor Strange lets... Thanos get the that get the gem because he knows that there's a larger play. Like there's so many characters who make so many sacrifices. But Tony was a hundred percent right in that. Strange should have taken that gem and gone completely somewhere else. Well, not. That hey, was, you don't know Doctor that. Str- that was- Doctor Strange already knows the future, so he knows how he didn't. He didn't when he went to fight him. That was the one thing I thought that that was strange in the movie is where. Quill, I'm sorry, we're, we're Strange and, and, and Tony are arguing on the ship. And they're like, let's go to him. And I'm thinking like, wait, why is that the rational idea? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think my, my interpretation was they don't know yet how powerful he is. I feel like these characters, like Doctor Strange beat um, uh, Dormammu. Uh, gosh, Dormammu. Dormammu. In the last movie, for Do- in Doctor Strange's mind, that's the worst thing that that's out, right? And he beat that. Iron Man has not lost ever, so for him, he's he thinks he's a god. So who is this Thanos that's coming that's supposed to scare mm, them? But Tony mentions that he says that he's literally had nightmares about him. Yes, forever. sure. 
Tony is sure, scared yeah. of Thanos, I think. Yeah, Tony's he, very he, scared of Thanos. Yeah, but that's not that, he's scared of Ultron, you know? He's he's scared of a lot of things. Tony is a a guy who's going to go right into the problem. We've seen him be that throughout all of these movies. Why would he not do that? Yeah, I think he also he also explains his motivation though where he says like I don't know if going and fighting him on his own turf is better than fighting him on ours, but we saw what happens when we fight him on ours. So I think it was very much a thing of like And it wasn't even him. Yeah, it's like if we all go die in space, at least the earth maybe doesn't get destroyed. Well, that, that's why I was thinking from uh like if I was in the room with them having this confrontation, I'd be like whoa, 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 whoa. clear our heads here. Can we take the time zone and just literally go anywhere else in time because that's what that thing could probably do or like can we like not go to earth or titan like can we just fucking go anywhere else can we talk for a second about how cool iron man's armor was in this one oh, yeah that we can very cool very cool so yeah i'd like to that make that a larger scene... conversation about uh, the visuals okay yeah, yeah all right marco fucking a dude oh wait are we doing that part now or yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> was that yeah. first scene where it just materializes from the nanobots, I was like, "Fucking get out of here! That's awesome." <laughs> and, and watching it, watching it like destroy itself, so he could put more power into it. Oh, like oh god, like oh, the yeah. part where like so the, cool. the mask gets ripped off, and then it's just like and goes right back over his head. I was like, "Oh, man. just that quick shot of his face, like oh shit!" Like, <laughs> what's so yep. good? Wait till wait till Iron Man Four, where it turns out it's the extremist armor, and it's gonna develop sentience. It's gonna be real bad, folks. It's already done that. Oh. that was, that's what Iron Man 3 was like. <laughs> Holy shit. I was like, is there a second part to that joke? I, I forgot a lot of Iron Man 3, I guess. Yeah. I also really thought it was cool how Spider-Man got his new suit in this movie. Uh, I, I imagined a far less cool scene in my mind where Tony was like, hey, it's getting bad. Here's your suit. This was so much cooler than that. Um, I honestly, I didn't even expect that. I expected him to to have just handed it to him. Oh yeah, here you go, no sweat. I, I, I I'm not a big fan of this the Iron Spider armor in general, but I fucking thought it was so cool. Like the just the look of it and like the way that they made it look a little bit more like a Spider Man armor than like Iron Man armor on Spider Man um, was really dope. And like they added a fourth leg, which was interesting, <laughs> but like it was cool. I liked I, it a lot. Here's 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 some visuals. I, I actually wrote them down. Uh, the scene where Thanos turns Drax and uh, I think Gamora into like the no, no, Mantis. He turns them into like the spirals or whatever with the reality. Yeah, yeah. she was like all ribbons, and he made him like fall apart in a bunch of blocks. Cubes. Yeah, like foam yeah. blocks. Yeah. yeah, or or in general that scene where he alters reality to make it like the the play on Gamora's emotions and shit. That was. Fucking dope. Uh, I mentioned Doctor Strange versus Thanos, which was like the most visually uh, uh, pleasing uh, uh, conflict, uh, like physical conflict. Love that. Um, also, this wasn't as much as a visual, as much as uh, fucking uh, Captain America showing up in the Scotland subway. Oh, that silhouette scene? That was dope. Oh, yeah, that was cool. When we were, when we were uh, talking about gasps, that was the one gasp I got in the theater, and it was some yes. 15-year-old I was sitting next to, and I was like, really? 
this is what you're giving them. The for? audience clapped in my theater when that happened. They yeah, thought it was my fucking audience dope. Went crazy. Yeah. There were people who knew he was gonna be there. I was like, wait, like what's happening? Like why is this cool? Like I don't get it. And then it was Cap, and everybody went berserk. Yeah. Yep. And like I knew it was him. It was just cool. Like I thought it was just like a very cool moment of like, oh, the train's gone, and it's just Cap standing there. Like yeah. it was a cool. I just moment. didn't think it was. I just didn't think it was gasp worthy. Okay, yeah, like he, yeah. He acted like he didn't know it was going to happen. Like Cap, he didn't know Cap was going to show up. Like, yeah, come on. For for me, it was more like it happens, and there's like that little musical cue, and I was just like, "Fuck yeah, all right, dude!" Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it was definitely an "oh uh, yeah" moment, but like not more than that. <laughs> Speaking of the musical cues, I liked how like right before they would transition to scenes with different characters, they'd play like the slight like a second of like something. Like right before we got into Wakanda, like they, they just did the littlest bit of like a. Yeah, we're like, like, oh, we're seconds. going home. <laughs> no, not even. It was like, oh, I know somebody. We're going home to like whatever, whatever. And then this this the sheen shift. I was like, oh, clever. They did that a couple of times with like Guardians of the Galaxy. Like it was like a long beep, and then it would be it would turn to like a a rocket kind of sound thing. Yeah. How about when really they cool. they introduce the Guardians where they start playing the oh. seven space. <laughs> That was awesome. Speaking that was really cool. Well, before I get to my main point here, I, the, the the reference that all the Guardian stuff felt really true to the James Gunn interpretation of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, yeah, it, very it much. felt organic to that. I felt which because the Guardians are the most kind of unique to the MCU. I think as a whole, I, I read that um, his main uh, what he mainly contributed was the scene in which Drax is standing watching Gamora and Star-Lord talk, and he's like, and he's invisible. I'm invisible. Like, that was the main thing that James Gunn kind of fought for, was to have that, because Marcus and McFeely had another idea for a scene, and James Gunn was like, no, this is this is what it is. And then Chris Pratt had to be the one to go, no, he's totally right. And it worked out. I did like that scene, but that's, that's my second point. The thing we were talking about before, Sean, is how this movie is split up in parts, the other part, which ties into the visuals, was Thor, Rocket, and Groot. And the scene on the on the on the dot on the dead star where I Thor has that. that was some a some Superman shit. <laughs> it was fucking dope as fuck. And B, when Groot cut off his own arm as the fucking a badass. There was some tight shit there with Thor, Groot, and Rocket. I thought that whole part was so good, man. Like, I really liked Peter Dinklage's part too, as well. Like, I, I thought that one. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I definitely did. Somebody, somebody, somebody said it on Twitter. It, it felt like he wandered off the Game of Thrones set onto an <laughs> SNL sketch, sketch, and like I was like, man, that's dead on. <laughs> True. Nah, I don't know. I thought he was fine. Um, no, like, I, I, I really thought that that moment, um, before they even get there, but, like, when they're headed there between Rocket and Thor, where he's like, it's time to be a captain, and he, like, sits down and they have that conversation, like, that was such an emotional moment, and, like, not to, like, give a backhanded compliment, but I was very much just, like, when did Chris Hemsworth learn to act this well? Because it was the most I ever, like, felt for him as a character. Thor 3. Yeah, I guess you're right, honestly. Honestly. I think that's when he opened up in this universe. Because uh, it really, like, it worked for me. Like, that, that like, you can see the pain. He's got tears in his eyes, but he's still got a smile on his face. He's trying to be optimistic. And, like, that's, like, that's Thor. You know, like, th- that, like, 
I don't know, it worked for me. It worked for me really well. And I thought then him being willing to make that sacrifice play, he was like, you're gonna have to like take the whole brunt of a star. It's like, that could kill you. And he's like, only if I die. It's yeah. Like, that was, so, okay. It's good. I've got two things. The first one, that defenders game, that group plays, <laughs> I had that. <laughs> like that was legitimately, I'd completely forgotten about it. That was my first video game. It had like a little, I remember distinctly, it had like a little volume knob. That's how old I am. It took C batteries. <laughs> Whoa. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was incredible. Um, number two, like, the the part where he has to reignite... Um, the forge. The, and the star. The, the forge, thank you. Um, and then hold open the, the... Iris. The iris. That was where it completely lost me. Like, okay, sure, I'll buy I'll buy that he can restart the forge, and that'll keep it going. But then he was like, well, fuck it. Okay, I'll stand in front of the iris. That's where I was like, oh, all right. So there's just, there's just no stakes here? Like, it doesn't matter? Like, Thor can just do fucking whatever. The big thing I thought was, it felt like the end of All-Star Superman to me, where Superman's inside the sun... Like, with the lever. And the visual of it, too. Like, it felt like this working-class dude, like, taking on the brunt of this. Uh, I, I don't know. I really like the visual of it. Um, yeah. That's, it, yeah, go ahead, Marco. It, it, it reminded me of, like, an Atlas kind of figure. Because yeah. he was, like, in this, like, weird, like, in this pose of just, like, strength. And he's getting berated by a fucking star. Like, I, I, I definitely see what you're, what you're talking about, Phil. Yeah. It's core comics, man. Like you know thor making this ultimate what's you know what presumably may be a sacrifice even though i think we all know okay he's not gonna die to this the hammer's made for him to wield but it's still like man like he's willing to go there you know yeah um he feels like i just, sorry like what was it not her herculean enough for him to reignite the star like he relit a star and now he's gotta for a second like like that scene where he twirls rocket ship and like he makes it like fly really fast and starts reigniting the star that felt like uh it like simple that felt like it, no mistakes it's when it's when the mechanism's broken and he has to go physically keep it open so that he has enough time to make the star because the star isn't being reignited that it feels like there's stakes involved and you can visually see it his, his skin is like burning <laughs> Yeah, that was. And he was like effectively dead until the Stormbreaker axe hammer thing was in his hand. Right, you're right. And I think that's the thing for me too, right? Is like the whole thing of like, well, Thor can do anything. It's like, well, he's a god. You know, like we, you know, we have seen him do incredible things like that before. And, you know, I I, I don't know. Like, to Sean's point, it's very much like it's a superhero thing, but it's a superhero movie. (laughs) It it felt a little like DBZ, his arc a little bit, because in. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, follow me it here. Yeah. In, in Thor Ragnarok, he's like, I don't need this hammer. I'm going to become the hammer. And in this movie, it's like it's like Piccolo when he's fighting Cell, where he's like, shit, I'm not strong enough. I need to fuse with Kami. Here, it's like, well, fuck, I need a bigger hammer. Excuse me, guys. I just want to, we've called it a hammer. Like It's an axe. It was Whatever. an axe. Everybody, relax. But what, it felt, what, it felt, you relax. what it felt like to me is... It was like synonymous with the comics when Thor gets the Odin Sun Force and basically yes. has like the power of Odin. Yes. Oh man, thank you. That is exactly how I felt. That's exactly where my mind went. And it's like, dude, 
Thor has been in this universe now for, I don't know, almost 10 years. And I've never, ever felt like he was a shell of, of the Thor that I'm familiar with. And finally, he went all out. And when, and, and I, I'll just say, it, I really didn't care much for that whole arc of him and, and Rocket. I wanted Thor in the mix. I wanted Thor to be there. But when he meets up with Peter Dinklage and they do all that stuff, and then he gets to Wakanda and he throws it down, that redeemed it all. Fucking forget and about now, it. And now... Thor is one of my favorite characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It, it was a Superman moment in Justice League because Thor is your big game player. You need to keep him away for, for the stakes of the other characters to feel real. And as soon as he shows up, it's like, oh, it's on. And that, I guess, takes me to my final thought on the three separations. The stuff on Earth was actually the stuff I was least interested in. And it's it just I, I just was not, I was like, I don't care about what's happening on Earth so much. I care about what's happening in space. It's like the, when we're reading Infinity Gauntlet, I like all the weird cosmic shit that's happening. That's what's dope. It's when we see the Avengers characters in that specific book that I'm like, ah, I don't really care, they're ancillary. It's the same thing with this movie. Outside of maybe Cap and, and Black Panther, uh, the stuff that's happening on Earth, I'm not super invested in. It's not until Thor shows up that I'm like, all right, I'm in, let's do this. And I, th- I think that's definitely, like, almost by design. Like, and that's that's kind of my biggest complaint, too, is that, like, I really love Captain America, and I feel like he was kind of underserved in this movie. Like, the moments he has are good, but you don't spend much time with him and that crew. Um, and, you know, somebody had to get the short end of the stick. Makes sense that it's the people on Earth. Uh... Well, and I feel like that'll that's what the next movie will be. Exactly. And I actually like that, though, because as much as I think, like, is that the weak linchpin in this, like, set of storylines? Sure. But I think because we didn't rely on that shit, there's so much stuff that I thought we were going to deal with in this movie that we didn't even get to. You know, like Tony and Steve burying the hatchet and all that kind of stuff. The Avengers getting back together. That's all shit that's going to happen in the next movie. And the fact that we got through this whole movie without hitting any of those beats that were the things I was most excited for is good. You know, it's like great because it was a great movie anyway. My main beef with the movie, and it's not the movie's fault. It's just the time we live in the last 10 years of cinema, of, of pop culture cinema, is I'm just fatigued with the, the notion of heroes have to combat a world, galaxy, universe threatening plot that threatens us to destroy everything. I- I'm tired of that plot. Yeah. I would be tired of it if Thanos had a device that came out of nowhere. It some, shot a beam from the sky. Yeah, right. Some kind of yeah. machine. Like, I don't want to see that. This, first of all, they've been building this for a really long time. Second of all, this was really him. It was his doing. Yeah, the gauntlet facilitated... What? I was going to say, I think the minions helped too break that up. Holy shit, we're talking about minions! You get all, you see them get killed and everything, and like that keeps you engaged in the conflict. Because it isn't just all focused on the last battle. You know? I also like that the last battle wasn't uh, the Avengers versus 35 million minions. Like in Avengers Part 1 and Part 2, it was. All, okay, once we beat these minions, that's it. It's 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 a wrap. And then we got to stop the world-ending machine. They literally did the same thing twice. This time, yeah, there were minions, but when Thor came, that storyline was over. And then there was also the... Yeah. So, so it really came down to Thanos versus the Avengers. And not even really that, because the fight itself, the fighting was not the point. 
The point was, if he gets the gem, that's it. And I love the way that they played that. I thought it was played well. Um, and, and, and one thing we haven't talked about was Vision and Wanda, who uh, I really loved in this movie. Scarlet Witch is top four or five characters for me in the MCU. I said it after Civil War. I'm saying it again now. And I think that their relationship is super weird between Vision and Witch. Um, but I like it. And I like that they that they were clear on how powerful she is. That she's the only one who could destroy an, a, an Infinity Stone. But by the time she put her love aside for this character, which again parallels to Star-Lord's and Gamora's relationship, where he, he messed up, she messed up too. Because it took her too long to get the job done. And that's and they lose as a result. She wouldn't do it. She she was she refused. It was that kind of love where it's like, like you said earlier, Sean. It's 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 so small, but it clouds. It becomes everything. She doesn't want to kill Vision. And Vision says like implicitly two like two hours earlier in the movie like oh I need to die. It's the only way we can really do this. Like you got to destroy the gem. And the way they resolve it, I thought was great. Where he does what Doctor Strange did in the Doctor Strange film, and he just rewinds time. Oh my god! And that was especially hard because, like, seeing Wanda like make the call finally at the eleventh hour to kill him, and then watch him be brought back and killed again, and that it was like meaningless. You know, is like fuck. Like that was really sad. Super great. And that's what I love about this movie is it has the guts to go to places like that. And that's the thing we haven't done in, in the MCU really before. Yes. You know, of, of really like, like that stakes, man, you know, like, and, uh, and again, I, I, I really, I, personally, I felt like both of the moment, um, with Star-Lord and, and Wanda in those two moments really work well, you know, and I think they do undercut the, the the narrative we talked about that cap is kind of representative of of like that like the one person is like well if that's your world like do i even care if the universe is saved if i don't have you you know like and that's a very like selfish thing but human beings are selfish love is selfish you know and like um yeah yeah. thanos is an alien thanos is an alien who has a different way of looking at things than we do and apparently a different way of looking at things than even his own kin do, which makes him so unique and such a unique threat to the Avengers because he he didn't care about killing Gamora. That was nothing for him. You know, like Loki had weaknesses. Uh, Ultron had weaknesses, like hu- human weaknesses. Thanos has no weaknesses. He, he did care in though. that sense. He did, but Thanos. He, like, cared, he cared, but he didn't care enough not to do it. It was a necessary it. sacrifice for him. Yeah, but uh, I think I think that 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 does make him a good counterpoint to Loki, though, because like Loki isn't capable of that kind of thing, right? Like when it came down to like choose your brother or the Tesseract, he folds because he does care about Thor, and it's like say what you like. Loki has feelings, you know, like he tries to hide them, but he's not a sociopath in the way that Thanos is, and so Thanos isn't even one. He's just a person who's willing to do whatever it takes. Loki's final line to Thanos, Thanos you know? where he says, "You will never be a god." Fucking loved it. That was very good. Um, that was questions. so poetic, too. Yeah, you kidding me? Two questions here. Is Gamora dead dead, you think? Oh, cool. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, no, because I think that everybody who we saw die is in the Soul Stone. Oh, uh, shit. Loki's dead. Heimdall's dead. 
Gamora's not, and no one else that died in the whole half the universe thing, none of them are dead. I think that they're all just in the Soul Stone. But, uh, but Loki and Heimdall would be dead because they died before the Soul Stone. Exactly. Okay, yeah. I, huh. I would be, with the exception, I would be surprised if Loki was actually dead. That's true, too. Like, have, I, there could be other memes, yeah. I, just yeah, because I, he's, that's his thing. I don't know, though, dude. Like they, they, they made a specific point to call that out twice, too, though. You know where Thanos says, no coming back from this one, and then literally again when Thor and Rocket are talking and he's like, oh, well, he's died before, yeah. but I think it might have stuck this time. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know. Thor, reignite, Thor reignited a star and then lived to tell the tale. Like, but fuck that's not the same as bringing someone back from the dead. Also, 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 just from a... Yeah, it is. From an IRL standpoint, I think Tom Hiddleston's just done doing it, probably. Yeah. But I think, I think like, I mean, at... at minimum we'll see him in Avengers 4. Could they figure out a way to bring him back if they want to? Yes. My perspective on the outset is that he is dead, perma-dead. Uh, and I, but I think that every death from Gamora and on, those people are all coming back <coughs> and all currently. The, the only reason I ask about Gamora is because all those other characters turned to ash and disappeared from reality. Gamora, you see her body on the, on the throne on the ground. The soul stone was the one she yes. led him to, yes. right? The right. yellow yeah. one, yeah. Yeah. I don't think she's stuck in there because, like, she was the sacrifice to a soul. A soul for a soul. Why would her soul be in there? The reason why I have that feeling is because Thanos talks to the child version of her in a place that looks really strange. Oh, true. And she's like, was it worth it? See, that, that scene for me was the, like, where the motives for Thanos like actually tie up like he ends up asking her because it, it she, he is connected to her on like an actual emotional level and um I, I forgot what she asked but she asked uh, him what what did it cost you oh yeah what did it cost you it was like everything. everything and then there was like a pause where it panned back to her and she had like these longing eyes of it for me it seemed like the next logical question was was it worth it but then that sort of doesn't happen. And then we get to see that when he's sort of sitting by himself back on Titan with like a different reality. And he's just looking up and he has like almost this half smile of just like, yeah, maybe it was at the end of the day. The sun has so risen, like he said. Yeah, yes. he got what yeah. he wanted. Um, yep. I, wa- I wondered if that was death. I think so. I think that was his like, because he, he, he like blanks out for a sec. And then when you look back, like the the glove is like uh, the gauntlet's like all burnt out and like kind of fucked up. And that scene, so like I, I think, get Marco. Sorry, no go for it. No go for it. That scene came right after Thor impales him right in the chest with with the uh, uh, fuck. It's Banner right Bills. No, it's right after he does the thing. It's at, but it, but it, Marco's right. It's after it's right he after he does that because no, I know he, he gets stabbed. Yeah. He gets stabbed. But he is done. It's like a fatal blow. And then he sna- and then he snaps his finger, and then Thor's like, "What have you done?" And he disappears. I so you think he's dead? I don't know. I, mean, that, I, I don't. A big a big thing in Annihilation is Thanos is dead, but he's not dead. So like he could be like I, yeah. undead. I think I think the implication there was like the last the last sacrifice that needed to be made was himself himself oh shit yeah, yeah whoa so, that might be yeah, true so he so thor killed him and he made a snap and it literally cost him everything oh but he was alive in the end 
But maybe... In the end, yes, but because he he literally sacrificed everything and accomplished his goal. Mm. Okay. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. So so I think I think whatever entity that was granted him what he wanted because he he literally did everything he was supposed to. And that was a sacrifice. And like Gamora was a so sacrifice. When, so, when he, so so when he said when he said everything, he meant everything. So you're yeah. saying that the Gamora he sees is actually uh a a a, a visage or whatever, like not Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I don't buy it because we saw we saw we saw child Gamora before, and there's no at no point is there any kind of hint or suggestion at there being some entity that he's serving or that yeah, is I acting agree. as a gatekeeper or anything. I like. I also think it's too heady for this movie. Yeah, but then then who was Kid Gamora? I think Gamora. it was Gamora. Like, and, Gamora. and where was and Gamora. where were they? The Soul Stone. I said that. Yeah. Or neither of those things, and it's just a vision, like yeah. you know, or like a, a dream, yeah, a plane of death kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like, I think any of the, any of those things are, are are totally plausible, and that's the thing is like we don't know. So that's a that's a worthwhile cliffhanger. But that's my second question here. Uh, there's been a lot of rumors about the Eternals going forward, and I know we made a lot of uh, jokes about it, but the the Eternals are directly tied to Thanos as well. A lot of them are Titans themselves. Uh, I wonder if there's going to be any kind of implication of them in the next movie. We'll see. And we know all about the Eternals, right, Phil? That's right. Number one Eternals fans on the internet. That's right. Uh, So I think we've said it all on the movie for now. Uh, Obviously, you know, it was a two-hour-plus movie, two hours and 40 minutes-plus. And so there's a lot to unpack. I think we got to as much as we reasonably could um, in just one episode and uh, I think it le- this movie, I can say, left me with a lot to think about. And obviously it impacted us very similarly. And many people came away from this um, very anxiously anticipating the next one. And I think uh, as far as success goes, that's a pretty, that's a pretty um, successful feat to make people care. 19 movies in. Next. 19, yeah. yeah. This is the most excited I've been for the next entry in the MCU since we knew we were getting Avengers. So you're excited for Ant-Man and the Wasp? Yep. No. So, uh, I mean, I... That, that's, that's the next uh, installment. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear what you guys have to say about the film. Uh, and, of course, there are plenty of ways you can let us know. This is obviously a monumental thing. And I think this is a... As much as it is an ending, I think it's also a celebration for us as fans. So let's do that. Let's celebrate. Let's hear your thoughts. Uh, give us your feedback on the movie, your favorite moments, etc. As I said, or as Marco and I said, um, we are doing the Deadpool giveaway, the uh, the uh, Deadpool care package, if you will. Um, and so if you share with us your... It, it was the Deadpool cares package. That's what uh, it was. That was it, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. That's what okay. it was. If you share with us your uh, favorite moment from this movie and you are a subscriber to us on YouTube, and you like it, and you share the video, um, you are in the running to win the entire Daniel Way uh, run on Deadpool. Tell us your favorite moment from so, the episode, too. Stroke our egos. That's Bonus not, points. That's, that's not a, yeah. Not a um, requirement. <laughs> so we're on Apple Podcasts, where you can hit us up. We're at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And if you don't care about the Deadpool Cares package, but you still want to help us out, 
everything I said about YouTube applies. You can like the video, um, share it with your friends, leave a comment. Definitely make sure to subscribe to the channel if you're not yet a subscriber. And do hit the notification bell just to make sure you are aware of our videos when they are published. Uh, so let's do some plugs. Pete. Cool. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. Uh, if you want to talk to me about Infinity War or whatever else, you can hit me up at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram and uh, let me know what you're thinking. And uh, if you want to help me out, you can check out some of my writing over at CBR. Um, I am writing for their Listen News Desks, as you probably know if you're a regular listener. I've got another one coming out this week about um, 25, like, just like weird lightsaber cameos, basically, in other pieces of pop culture. So if you're a Star Wars fan, it might be a fun time. Uh, go click on that. Click on my author title. Check out some of the other stuff I've been writing and uh, help me pay the bills. It definitely helps a lot. So if you could do that, I'd greatly appreciate it. And then you can also catch me on pretty much every other fucking show that we do. Uh, me and Sean are on the Video Game Pals, which posts the day after this one, and Fridays on YouTube, Monday through Thursday, we cut it up just like the Comics Pals. You can also catch me, Marco, and Kale on our Riverdale Review show, The Riverdale Review. We'll be back this Wednesday with our pal Jeremy, who's uh, another returning guest um, as we kind of wrap out the season here. So that should be a good time. And then you can also, as always, catch me and Thompson on our uh, weekly Let's Play show. Uh, Pals Play, last week we played some God of War. That was a great time. Go check that out. This week, uh, nothing was new. So we did some just kind of random versus one-offs. We played some Overcooked. We played a little bit of Poyo Poyo Tetris. And uh, I spanked him like the child he is. So it was a great time. Awesome. Uh, Kale? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Um, my comics are on Comixology under Panels Publishing. Uh, I do a series of sort of uh kaiju uh style books with uh with a twist so uh did you get nominated for an eisner this year no not this year ah. you can also find them at selfie.com slash panels publishing where you can find the entire panels catalog um which i highly recommend phil um if you want to tell me how you think steppenwolf was better than thanos uh I feel, feel free to that's a hell of an argument to make <laughs> That's a one hell of a soapbox to get on. And I'm not talking about Sean's soapbox either. Um, otherwise, you know what? You can follow me at Cyborg Bebop at Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to message me and uh, tell your friends about us. Marco? You can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I'm also the official mod over at the uh, Our Tentacle Game, the official long Stop box. promoting it! <laughs> I, 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 I mod, guys. This is a big deal for me because I'm, I'm very much a Redditor. Listen, listen, Nerdlinger. You could be the mod of the R Comics Pals page if you actually fucking wanted to. Uh, R the Comics Pals, okay? Right. Not uh, a Redditor. Uh, as for me, uh, I am on Twitter only at Sean Soapbox, where you can talk to me about Avengers Infinity War. And with that, we have a comments about signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. Posting credit. So, all right. <laughs> We're sitting there, right? And it's it's the scene where everyone's disappearing and like Thanos is one and everybody's sitting there and it's like, you know, I would assume everyone else is sobbing, right? So we're sitting there, Bucky disappears, Cap is with Vision's body, you know, uh, Scarlett Johansson is like three seconds from, from retching and all of a sudden 
the lights came on in the theater like full blast. <laughs> I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me right now? We're not, we're not done here, guys." It was incredible. The sun had truly risen. <laughs>